Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 157 of Korea Podcast. And yes, I survived episode 156. No, not because the guest was uh, bad. He was a great guy, Ferry Sandoval. You'll probably watch his episode by now. Uh, because as, as as I mentioned in the late previous episode, I kind of was asleep to write as hell. So yeah, I'm better now. I slept for 14 hours nearly. And yeah, we're here now at episode 157 with another guest. Our today's guest is Mr. Ilya Viryachev. He's a concert artist working as an art director at Digital Dimensions from... Montreal, uh, Canada, and also he's also the host of the Creative um, Theory Podcast, which we're going to talk about it later in the episode as well. And before we get into the questions and the discussions and all of that, um, in the caption section, in the context, you can see his the idea of Instagram, the idea of the podcast, and also the link to his website. So if you guys want to check that out, I want to just give it a shout out in the beginning of the episode so you guys can see it. And with that being said. I just want to ask you something. Why Godzilla as your Instagram handle? Like that—that's like a confusing thing for me. Uh, by the way, thanks for sharing my uh, work in there in the podcast. I appreciate that. Uh, for the name, when I uh, was kind of after high school, when I was studying uh, to become an animator, I had to work uh, part time at a kitchen. Like it was a at this restaurant, and I worked in the kitchen and. You know, people, you know, you work for what, eight, 10 hours together and you get bored. So people like would try to come up with nicknames for each other and people in, in the staff, like, because my name is kind of unique for Canada, people would try to like rhyme it or sometimes sing it. And so like, it would be like Godzilla, Crocodilia, or just, they would try to just like mix with it. I don't know, just you're, you're bored. And that one seemed to have stuck. At least I liked it. I feel like, like Godzilla, Godzilla, that seemed pretty fun, it seemed playful. And I'm trying to remember, I don't know about you. Like, I don't know when you made your Instagram account, but it feels like. I mean, it's plenty of years ago where that just seemed to have stuck. Yeah, I know, like those, your first emails you make in your elementary school and sometimes, and you have to go with them at your job, like Shadow Warrior 666 or something like that. Exactly. Tell yeah. and I find it funny that people who keep them still, I guess it's a pain, you know, to like change your email on all the services so at a certain point you accept it. But I kind of like it. Honestly, I feel like for, um, maybe because it is Instagram and I, I, I and because my art account, I never wanted to maybe come off as like, I don't know, not pretentious. I just wanted to make sure that it's also always lighthearted in the way uh, I approach my art. So I think like having Godzilla as a tag is kind of fun and it doesn't like it's not taking itself too seriously. You know what you should do, actually? I mean, your username is Godzilla. Your name is Ilya Viryachev on Instagram. You should change it to actually Godzilla because, you know, what happens usually on uh on Google, when you, for example, Google a celebrity <laughs> or a movie or something, there are also social medias come up, all right? And a lot of the times, those are wrong. They are just random people when you open it. And those random people don't even know they did that. So if you just yeah. just try to twist it to Godzilla double L or something and just add it on Instagram, if people like, you know, Google Godzilla and say, oh, Godzilla's Instagram and just redirects your Instagram profile, like, you know, 200 like, IQ tactic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you made a website that was like Google but with three O's and like imagine think of just the amount oh. of people who always go to Google with three O's by accident like you're gonna have so much traffic oh, yeah. if you're running ads you're just making a lot of money so sure I'll think oh, about shit. it like, actually that that is actually something and that's actually something people thought about like making Google with double O uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think there's a lot, but that's why I think um, what these bigger tech companies do, I think they buy out any domain that's similar to theirs. Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. Make mistakes so that, because otherwise, you know, I wonder if anyone re ever ran a business, you know, like Facebook with like just with all the com misspelled combinations, just so that, again, you could, like, if you're getting clicks, right, you probably you could get pretty good revenue. I would imagine. I don't know. 
Yeah, a lot of times, uh, uh, a really like you know interesting method of trolling that's kind of been going on for years now is that, for example, you go to a hotel and you don't like it, you don't like the service at all, and you Google it and see, all right, there's no website for it. Hmm? <laughs> then you then you make a website for it by the domain and just redirect the website to a random just weird website you know so that's kind of like trolling the, that's pretty you know? good yeah, yeah yeah and then you just wait until they have to like contact you on buy yeah. the website or like yeah nah, man, actually one of the blackmail but it's fun yeah, actually <laughs> one of my friends did that actually legit wow yeah it went, yeah <laughs> and uh but it, but unfortunately they didn't call him to you know we're gonna buy the domain or something like that but he just did it out of like you know spite you know <laughs> yeah they're a little too small yeah, yeah, that's that's all evil, but maybe if it's justified, yeah, that's a, it's a fun prank to do for sure. Yeah, exactly. And well, um, I just want to ask you something. Could you give us a little a story, like you know, brief story of like you know how you got started into the world of visual arts and art, and um, basically what what moment of like you know a spark made you realize, oh, I want to become an artist for the rest of my life? You know, mm-hmm. how's your journey uh, been? <clears throat> Let's do it. Yeah. So I'm originally from Kazakhstan, Almaty, and I lived there um, up until I was 13. And then I was lucky that uh, my family and I moved to Canada. But uh, being in Kazakhstan, being in a Russian family, art is, I suppose, like art is a big part of culture. And when by myself and both of my brothers were little, uh, my mom would always take us to art classes, um, you know, on top of many other classes, but, you know, I guess she was made sure that I always had um, something to do and certain interests. And I think from the really young age, she was actually just telling me this story yesterday because it was my birthday and she, she was like remembering when I was little and she was saying how because she would bring me to art classes with my older brother, I would just be sitting by the side and painting. And apparently the uh, teacher thought that I was good and I was three and she was like, oh, this kid's got something. So whether you want to believe in talent or not, I I don't like to just because I feel like anyone who's you know worked hard enough to achieve certain things you kind of realize that you know even if you let's say you feel like you have talent the you know the thousands of hours of work that you have to put into it to actually develop is a long way but maybe there's something that does help you um but I always always did painting and when I was little my parents would take me to art uh lessons and I think when I was in high school I was trying to figure out I don't know about yourself and how your family relationship is, but my parents didn't, you, you, they're not against me pursuing art, but uh, the unspoken rule was just get into something that will make you a living. Basically, we want you to make sure that you can provide for yourself and, you know, your future family. So that was kind of always felt like an unspoken rule. Um, and so instead of, while I like painting, for example, I kind of had to try to find the career that was still in the arts, but could also you know, I, I could see that as a career. Um, and at that time, this was 2009, there are not many schools. And so I was already in British Columbia and Vancouver in Canada. There are not many schools that did specifically concept art. I think it was a little, a little too early, at least uh, in the city uh, for the schools that I knew, but there was a private in the institution, Art Institute of Vancouver, you know, the school that, that doesn't have the best reputation but it is out there. And I went there with my portfolio and originally I thought I was going to do 3d modeling. I, you know, since I, I thought I liked painting and uh, the 3d modeling kind of as sculpture felt like an extension of it. And it would be a very interesting technical thing to learn because you'd have to visualize your art in 3d. Uh, but for some reason, the recruiter there said that the drawings that you saw in my portfolio, she suggested I do animation. And I don't know why she did because I, honestly, I, 
I don't know how many of the employees there, you know, really knew art or they were there kind of as a business to try to get kids in their money. Maybe I got lucky because looking back on it, I feel I feel very lucky that I did go through animation just because where I ended up now uh, going through 3D animation, understanding movement, understanding some drawing. It was 3D, so it was not a lot of drawing, but it was live drawing classes, understanding rigging, understanding how uh, what makes uh, you know what makes a good character and doesn't annoy animators and modelers can actually build it and you know for and things you should and shouldn't do. You know, now being in our director position, all that stuff came really like it's all been really, really useful for me. Um, so I feel kind of, you know, kind of got lucky I got in there. That program was less than two years, and yeah, and then out of there, I started working uh, as an animator. Uh, one of the teachers at the school uh, was working in the industry, and myself and a couple of my friends were working. Like we all made sure that we pushed each other to work really hard. Uh, we knew that you know this person was in the industry, so we tried to make sure that we uh, showed our best selves in those classes. And uh, two of us got jobs before we graduated, um, which you know felt like the goal is uh, get your first job because the first job is the hardest. And then after then, uh, I, I don't know if I realized it back then, but I knew that you know after the first job, it felt like okay, this was actually paid off because the school was expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could, uh, if you want to keep going further, but that was kind of the the initial start. I mean, to your question about the spark um, of where the kind of the spark came from, that's a trickier one because I knew I was, I knew I liked drawing and painting and I felt like I was you know, better, that, better at it than most of my classmates in high school. You know, like you kind of, everyone has some sort of identity or try to make it so. And whether I liked it or not, I was the art kid, you know, people kind of saw it that. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I guess as a kid, if you, if you're good at something and people see you for it, I'm guessing like you just keep going in that direction. Uh, and that's not to say that I didn't want to do it. It's just like, it was interesting how kind of these kind of forces combine. So I knew I, I liked that. And for myself growing up on like Diablo and Starcraft and Warcraft with my brothers, like those were the, games that gave me a lot of inspiration too so kind of it was all around like it was all kind of mixing of like these are the things that i like i didn't know that you could make video games as a career i just you know i heard the word animation i thought it was that's what people do but i you know i didn't know much about it then as i do now it just somehow turned out that that direction worked out yeah i mean that's a really really long answer to your question but i hope that um, there's some good things in there no, I mean that was that was that was a medium length answer. I had longer answers than that, trust me. <laughs> uh, which actually, I kind of like. You know, uh, I would love to actually get long answers as much because those long answers are, you know, the type of ones that you kind of get lost into the, your answers. So you just go and go and go, and which is actually good. Like those are like genuine uh, conversations. I mean, that's that's a fun thing about podcasts. It's not something edited or just you know, kind of like that. Sure. You know what I mean? It's raw. Yeah. And um, the thing is, actually, uh, then after that, after you started working, you said you started working as a 3D animator, then switched to concept art, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And right now, I, the place you are right now, right? Uh, so right now I'm working uh, as an art director. So that was a kind of a, a journey from yeah, being an animator. And by the way, you're talking about that long answers. I feel like sometimes I am kind of, unfortunately i do get onto round on sentences so <laughs> it'll probably happen a couple of times but like you said i mean i'll share as much as i can um but so yeah i started out as a 3d animator um worked on a couple of tv shows at a studio called nerdcore 
in Vancouver. Now it's called DHX. You know, the studio went through a number of different changes and maybe owners. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Those were good times. It was kind of crazy because it felt really crazy because the school was less than two years. You know, you get in, get out and you're start to work and you don't feel like you're completely ready, but you're probably ready enough to work on TV show animation and you just learn a ton of work. You, you, you know, you can do some posing, you can set up cameras and then let's go. And you, and you realize how big that world is. And, um, and also I think you slowly start realizing when you see feature film work, you start realizing, okay, the finesse and the level that they go to is so high compared to what you do in TV animation, just because, you know, you're probably doing, roughly, let's say like, I don't know, 20 seconds of animation a week or something like that, where, you know, at that time, I don't know what it is now, but you hear things like, you know, three seconds of animation per month. No, let's say like three seconds of animation, maybe like per week or two in feature films. So you kind of understand the quality, right? Like on the bar that people reach. So that was kind of my goal. And again, my friends and I who studied together, we um, worked uh, at the same job. Uh, I was lucky that I met the people who were working really hard that kind of pushed each other. But slowly, I, 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 always, I didn't stop drawing, I didn't stop painting, that was on the side, but I remember being at work and realizing that we'd sit in one room, and there'd be like, you know, like 20 animators in one room, everyone's working, headphones on, and you'd see, because it was a big office, you'd see the director and like the concept artist, like walk around to their office and go have meetings. Uh, and there was like, there was some smaller group, but uh, it, there was like a whether it was actually there, but you kind of felt like, oh, these guys feel important. You know, like they're hanging out with the director and they're trying to come up with these initial ideas. And it felt like uh, as an animator, you come in later and you try to execute these things that they already came up with. And, you know, uh, as an animator, you would create a lot of personality and acting and how you make the shot feels. There's like, uh, there's a lot of creativity that comes in there. But personally, I remember feel, being feeling drawn to like, just the feeling of actually coming up with things. Uh, I think that kept me, pretty excited and also i've noticed too is that you know when there's when they have to hire 20 animators that means you are not as important because you're easier replaceable you know if there's three of you like if there's three concept artists like you feel like because small group uh it's harder to get the job but you feel like you're treated better just because it's uh you know you're not a number out of 20. so those couple of things started clicking in my head while i was working animation so i uh, asked a couple of friends um I work for a critique on my portfolio at the time, you know, which is just a bunch of drawings and some paintings and I had good advice. Um, I actually remember while working on that company, Norcore, I was telling the, one of the directors that I was working with that I wanted to switch to concept art. And I remember him like, uh, he, I think he doubtfully, not doubting, but I think he, he didn't really believe into the idea because his response was like, oh, that takes a whole nother education. Like, are you sure you can do that? And, and uh, you know, it's funny because I remember it now. I don't think it like affected me too much, but I remember uh, feeling like, oh man, is it actually that, that hard? I still kept going, but I remember people like, yeah, that's not how you, like people just don't switch from one career to the other. You know, you drawing and animating are two different things. Um, uh, let's see. And so, yeah, I uh, worked as an animator. I took a couple of courses, uh, one of them being uh, animation mentor, um, uh, creature master class, because uh, in my mind, there are two paths I was going to follow. Either I was going to try to get a, good enough as an animator and get into feature film. So that means extra education, because when you're working and you're producing 20 seconds of animation a week, you're not really getting better. You're, you're learning tricks. And you kind of, you got to produce where if you really want high quality animation, you got to put your own time in. So I did those classes, but at the same time, 
Uh, I also, you know, the desire to get in, to draw for work was there. And so after doing this animation mentor class, uh, I, I quit my job after maybe three, two years into being an animator. I quit the job so I could study to try to get a, um, like a, a kind of higher end, not higher end, but a, a job trying to get into a film. And when I graduated uh, that program, it was just like a couple of months. Uh, there wasn't any work, couldn't get any work. And so I was the job that I was able to find was in video games. And it was a, it was through a friend of mine, Aaron White, in Vancouver. And because the, comp- the game company was small, it was small enough where I sent in both portfolios, concept art and animator. I was just like, why not at this point? Give it a try. You know, I don't have a job. Let's see what uh, happens. And they actually liked both. And I think because they're small enough, they... You know, they wanted people who could do multiple things, right? I think that's a common thing about kind of startups. Or I think the company was 60 people at that time. It was called Roadhouse Interactive. And so, uh, again, this feels like a lucky moment in my life where they like both and they actually got me to do both. And it was, I remember feeling so, um, again, like another crazy moment, kind of like, you know, straight out of school animating. Uh, to me, a wild moment was when they asked me to draw things uh, for, we're doing a Warhammer mobile game. So they're asking me to draw these, like, these towers that orcs were shooting from for warhammer game and it just you know to me it feels kind of surreal because like man this is work it, it was crazy like, it, because you, you know you, yeah sorry sorry go on go on no it's just like you you these things you know you maybe drew as a kid i, I was a big fan of workout not as much actually no warhammer was really cool like i, I like the uh fantasy stuff and you know, you, you know, you, you see so much art, like as an artist, you see like all these crazy drawings of, uh, oh man, I, I'm going to embarrass myself not knowing the name, but like Chaos Knights and stuff like that. It's just the art for those things is so wild. And I remember being asked to do that. And, you know, we're making a mobile game. You realize you're not, again, you're not working on the highest budget things, but still it's really exciting to be part of that. So because first I was doing animation for that game, it was called Warhammer Carnage. And then I did some art and that was felt kind of like a surreal moment where, I saw that this could be the thing I could do. Like I, I remember feeling like, okay, yeah, I could, I could draw for work. And again, like here's another moment that felt lucky is when the company continued to grow, they, they asked me if I want an animator for an do concept art because they just need to hire more people. You know, when they're like, we could hire a concept artist or an animator. We don't really care. Like, what do you want to do? And we'll hire the other position. And so I said, oh, yeah, I want to paint and design more. And I mean, that was it. I worked at a company for maybe another year or so, but that's where uh, I got more practice. Cause you know, doing eight hour days of drawing at work, if you, if it's challenging enough, you're going to learn really quickly, faster than you could do in your evenings, trying to practice for the portfolio until you get into a job. Um, yeah. So that, that, that felt yeah, a pretty special moment. And after that, I, I'm trying to remember, I could open my LinkedIn cause that's how I usually remember my, progression uh through work but then i uh, worked as a designer at atomic cartoons and that's where i kind of grew from to senior to lead and then to uh i was after our direct it was um i feel very fortunate that you know those, those people put trust in me but that was kind of that that was a transition you know it was kind of both always at the same time until i was given this chance to just kind of just do concept art work and by the way does linkedin you think regular LinkedIn is effective for artists or art station is enough? I remember I saw I was uh, checking out the podcast you did with Walter Gort, right? That's yeah, Walter Gort, yeah. Gort, Gort. Uh, really cool artist. It is interesting because I saw his YouTube videos of him 3D printing those uh, boxes. Super cool. Anyways, but I, I, I saw in that uh, show you're asking him about uh, LinkedIn. It's a tricky one. I, I feel like 
I do I, I I do like LinkedIn for just like having the track record of like it's easier for me to look at it. My memory is not as good as like knowing what month I worked here to there to this company. Uh, this this recent job, uh, Digital Dimension, where I'm at now, I think they originally reached out through LinkedIn, actually. Um, whether they found me through LinkedIn, I don't know. Uh, I, it, it's interesting how when companies, if they have to like headhunt for, if they have to look for people, I do wonder what avenues they take. I'm sure they take on LinkedIn, but they just probably look for keywords, right? If you have to fill a senior uh, rig uh, or TD position, you know, if you have to find it, because I imagine like if you're Disney, for example, you don't need to look for people. Everyone comes to you. Right. But if you're everyone else, like if you're not like Lucasfilm, if you're um, like a company just tier below, sometimes you do have to look for people. And I, I would imagine they would use something like that. But ArtStage, for example, when I was working at even at this company, but I was working on Atomic Cartoons, I, I, uh, I would use ArtStation to look for people myself. So like, when I had to hire designers, I would search ArtStation more so than LinkedIn, but that's because, you know, you and I were visual people. I'm not looking for someone for their resume. I'm looking for their skills. So you just, you're just looking at the art, but maybe, I, I don't know. I wonder if HR, they would use LinkedIn as well. Long answer, yeah. but I think I would say I, it, both help, I think. Yeah, just making LinkedIn is not that much. I, I, <laughs> actually, I actually made my LinkedIn at high school, you know, because... I, nice. I, I don't, you know how you make your deviant art and you know those accounts when you're young and you have dream big and stuff and now it's yeah, just yeah. you know just stacking cobwebs and just you know like you know it's empty now basically yeah, yeah. but yeah i should work on it as well and uh, here's the thing i actually calculated when you said like you know making 20 seconds of animation per week that's mm. a lot even for a big team 20 seconds is a lot yeah and Let's, for everyone who's listening, let me actually give you a little bit of, like, you know, those movies, like, for example, animated feature films like that run through 90 minutes. Here's how it takes, how long it takes, like, efficiently without crunch time to make them. So let's assume 20 seconds per week, all right? So Mm -hmm. 20 times 4, it's 80. That's a month. Now, 80 times 12, that's 960 seconds per year. Now, 960 times 6 that's 5,760 seconds for six years. Now, divide that by 60. That's how many you get for six years. 96 minutes. So, Dude, the crazy part is like it's 20 seconds per animator per week, though. And that's why, like, depending on your team, yeah. right? That's that's how you can multiply it. But you're right. It, it, it's, I mean, for everyone listening, it's, and that's 20 seconds of animation a week. That's, uh, that's very quick. That's like, that's yes. a really fast pace. Yeah, 20 seconds yeah. is a lot but for example yeah. there's those like some of those japanese anime studios where they actually deliver perfection like yeah. some of the animations and it's even rare in animes you know not all of them like a just a little a small percentage of some some animes are just so their animations are so insane like yeah. there was this like 20 seconds of an Japanese anime I saw which was so cool by the way it it was like a woman basically preparing food but it was the aesthetic the colors that just it's it was insane like I don't know even how to put it to words mm-hmm. like you know those are some just it, it takes a certain level of artists you know to create those stuff you know a certain Huge. amount yeah. of yeah, and attention to detail, right? And the way they would like really create overlap and effects of like yeah. grids and drops. Yeah, I, I think I, I mean I, you see where yeah that that extra level of love that's put into uh, these sequences. To me, always like what uh, always really um, 
uh, impressed me is especially like 2D effects animators, you know, where they're tracking, like making little water waves. But, you know, imagine like making a wave and they're tracking every little shape frame by frame and how it shifts. Like it just crazy. It's insane. how Yes, exactly. Yeah, but the thing is the that they've, 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 sorry, I started for a second. The difference for me when it comes to animation and other aspects of art is because I tried a little bit of animation in my spare time last year, like not last year, two years ago, actually. Uh, I made a little like one minute animation for myself, which took like a, not a lot, actually, like 12 hours. I wouldn't say 12 hours is a lot, but I kind of like pulled mm-hmm. an all-liner for it. It became like 456 frames in total. Wow. And the weird mm-hmm. thing is I didn't, I, I was too lazy to learn any like animation software so what i did was i made all the frames in adobe illustrator <laughs> and uh, made it animated in photoshop so i didn't have to learn any new <laughs> softwares or anything like that but the thing mm. it was a lot for me at that time for my student at the time was a lot of work but the thing was it was satisfying when you actually put all the frames together and you see and then get an animation so i yeah. could so it, i could Get why some people, animators, could actually spend a lot of time on just for two seconds of animation. The result itself is so satisfying. You put totally. a lot, you put a lot of time of your ch- huge chunk of your life to make this piece. That's kind of fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I, you don't get that, for example, that much. I mean, sure, maybe you put a lot of time in a portfolio piece or just a concept art or a three D model or something. Yes, I mean, if you put a lot of time into it to pay attention to the extra details. I don't know. Animation for me is different. Maybe I'm wrong. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I would imagine it's, just, it's a personal uh, like satisfaction and preference. But uh, I know what you mean where you... Because it is different. Like It's not like m- making a sculpture. Although making a sculpture is satisfying in its own ways. Because especially if you're working physically, it's a thing that exists. And it's a copy of one. And nobody will ever make something like this again. Just because it is... You know, there's imperfections that you put into it. But with animation, it is true that I feel like you... Yeah, like you said, you, you put so much analysis into the little smallest things that people don't even notice. You know, as an animator, you pay attention to, you know, micro, micro expressions. You know, sometimes like people would like blink with one eye and you know it is this little things because, or, you know, I just raised my eyebrows and it was a tiny little move. And it, like as an animator, you pay attention to like the way fingers flex and, you know, there's all these things and then all that knowledge and attention to detail you put into a piece of work that most people won't even notice. But what you're saying, like this finesse and the, you know, if you're really proud of the artistry that you're creating and then it moves. And then if you see it on screen or if your friends saw it somewhere, then, you know, there's like so many levels of uh, potential satisfaction and things you, you could be proud of. It, it is something interesting that, uh, yeah, you're putting so much work and then seeing it kind of come to life when it's moving. Or I would imagine uh, I've never done any like... Uh, never really made effects and for example like houdini but i, I could I, I would imagine that if you're an uh, effects artist making some some i don't know some cr- cool effects in, yeah in 3d that must be really satisfying as well uh, at least you know as someone who doesn't do it, it it looks really impressive yeah exactly oh my god like effect art uh, like making vfx is also really hard and labeling mm-hmm. yeah especially good effect totally good effects yeah and I, I was uh at my work um one of the artists, uh, he's senior, senior artist, he's been in history for a long time, super, uh, you know, super pro, uh, Glenn, but he was, uh, he was making this effect for billowing smoke, you know, really intense fire and smoke, uh, almost like after a car crash. And I was asking him, I was telling him, oh, I really love how, you know, the shapes are going from flowing to big round shapes and they're just billowing. Like, And he was explaining to me how he got it. But, you know, casually he's like, oh, yeah, I know because we're creating difference in temperature. Uh, if I create a difference in temperature here and there, that's what's creating it to be more volatile. And I was like, what? Like, so 
they're basically working with physics. And that was, I may have known that, but maybe I forgot. But uh, again, it was so impressive too, because then you kind of understand that they, when they create their effects, you know, if he wants to create a vortex, he's using physics in a way that would be pressure or temperature to create something that, that could be realistic. And I thought that was so cool because again, it's a, it's not a, just art. It's a combination of art and science, right? And what they're yes. creating. That's super mind blowing for me. No, that's kind of interesting. You're right. Because I would imagine that people who make VFX, like, you know, they, just, they just get a reference and just trace or try to just, you know, get it as a reference and just made it. But now that you say yeah. that, you can, you, you actually become master of it. Then you can like make it however shape or just, you know, way you like, you know, because you know how exactly. it works. Which is weird. It must be challenging. Yeah. If you, for, but then the challenge must be is when someone, you know, like myself would ask for something that's, uh, right. If someone wants to make uh, an effect that's not, um, not like realistic, but you know, if you were going for fantasy and you're, you're saying, you know, I want a black hole type effect that's uh looks like fire that can be thrown at enemies and you know what i would i wonder how an an artist who's really grounded in physics right like if they want to make fire there's certain ways you do it or like a tornado and again i'm sure there's ways to kind of trick and cheat but like if you're trying to approach an effect that's not realistic that doesn't exist in real life but with the principles and you know physics of real world it would be so interesting to be in their brain and really see how they would solve that problem right like you're saying if there's reference for fire fine but what if you're saying you want to do um i don't know like i don't pick an effect from halo i don't know some weird plasma and you're like how do you make that and it would be so interesting to see how they would do that Oh yeah, interesting. It would probably be contrastively, like you know, like not contrast, like a mix of some different effects that they then they add a little spice of like I don't know, their own creative juice to it, and it just becomes yeah, you're right actually. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so yeah. many cool things out there, man. There's so many cool professions yeah. within the industry. Yeah. Yeah, especially right now. I mean, uh, there's jobs for everything, even in sound. Like if you make like you know different, like even food. Listen. There was, I think I saw something in the cast of, I, I don't remember exactly, I think in cast of a game somewhere. The person's job was basically making the sound effects, record the sound effects of like, you know, the characters walking on different terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how niche the industry is getting, honestly. It's, there's jobs for everyone. 100%. And everyone gets to be really, really become a master at their own craft in a very small thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're talking. I'm trying to remember where I saw this. What you're talking about the footprints. Uh, I wonder if it was like I, I think they're talking about recently. It was an Unreal Engine demo. Maybe that's what it was. They're talking about a project, but I'm sure there's a folly artist on every yeah. project. Yeah, but it's so fascinating. They have to go in the desert and record people walking on sand or something like that. And not just one oh, type of sand, different types exactly. of sand. Oh, it was for Dune, the movie. Maybe that's where it was from. Because that's where I watched Maybe. the making of Dune, the latest one. Yeah. Because there, you know, they wanted all of their effects to, um, I think they're like kind of generating, generating sounds within the desert. So, or using sand and their, uh, and using that as inspiration reference for a lot of the effects. Uh, really fascinating for anyone who like hasn't seen the movie. But there's like uh, making of YouTube clips of it. It was Denis Villeneuve, the director. Uh, it was really inspiring to watch that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And for example, here's the thing that there's a certain niche that there isn't much art from. And I kind of love that niche. And I'm, and I'm kind of on the process for like for this year to make some artworks or like in that center genre. And that genre is, it's kind of similar to solar punk. I don't know if you're familiar with solar punk, but mm-hmm. it's like, imagine like 
the post-apocalyptic world like Fallout, you know? But mm-hmm. add the twist stuff like greenery and just graffiti, fun, colorful graffitis everywhere. And there's people like, you know, racing around the whole mess of the ruins. And there's just a happy, yeah. it's basically a happy post-apocalypse, you know? There's not yeah, much the of ju- it. The jungle doesn't exist, yeah. It's always dark. <laughs> I, no, no, it, it could. There's Here's the thing. The have You you, you watched Wally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the end of Wally, there's a room, like, you know, dusty, like, you know, broken place, all right? Then there's, at the end, there's greenery flowing everywhere. I, I mm-hmm. kind of find beauty in that. And there's yeah. much work, artworks or genre that's been worked on that. And I have a lot of ideas, like, in that same... I have basically a whole universe in my head, like, and I've been I've been working on it since I was, like, teenager, you know? And Gotta get it out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah. And I'm currently like trying to learn 3D. That's my main thing. And and it was a whole journey for me to actually pick a niche for me to actually start learning because I was all over the place. Basically, if you check my Instagram, I'm all over the place. But but it's been kind of recently that I'm trying to like you know zero in on like learning 3D and uh, getting good at it. And actually, it's super. It's it's much better than for me, especially. I mean, it's it's a personal preference, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. That anything I can imagine, I can emulated in 3d much faster and better than like illustrated and here's nice. the thing oh that's so good that because i, re- I remember something i wanted to mention when you were talking earlier about talent all right i think mm. i have more, i have more talent in 3d than 2d and here's the thing let me just ex- explain something and i think you can also kind of agree with me um mm. you know when you're for example playing a rpg game like in world of warcraft and based on race and just a lot of factors your character has different stats and different skills yeah but here's the thing for example if uh i don't know i i don't remember much from world of warcraft but for example if an orc has like you know 15 strength from the start instead of instead of five and a human Mm -hmm. has five instead of like you know 15 there's a cap there's a limit but in reality there's no limit you know so but you can kind of like you know what i mean basically we all start from different places but we can all even reach even farther than people who are talented you know so mm-hmm. if I try to visualize what talent is, that's that it is for me. Like mm-hmm. I kind of have, I personally have more, I believe I, in my experience, I have more talent in 3D than 2D because when I picked 2D, it was a lot of struggle for me. I mean, but I kept going at it, but it was a lot of struggle. But with 3D, it was like this. That's awesome. Like we just... That means your your mind thinks like right away in, exactly. in 3D in volumes. That's cool. Thank you. That, that, that's yeah. since I was a kid. Like everything, that's all awesome. my dreams. Like I even... Store some of my dreams in here because I want to recreate them someday. <laughs> but because see, with three D you can do that easily. But with illustration, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trash at that, honestly. I mean, of and course, there's benefits to three D, especially with the tools getting better now, right? Yeah. Like you, you, it'll be easier for you to texture and shade and all these other things on top of being, uh, you know, visualizing and modeling. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and the the good thing is that the blenders is starting to become an industry and standard if I'm not wrong. Like in a couple of years, it's actually going to be alongside Maya and 3D Max and stuff like that. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, for just learning the 3D, I'm sticking to Blender so I can get a good grasp of everything. But uh, I also asked uh, Emily Arena. She was also the guest of my 155 episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. Actually, actually the last episode I ever, if if you go to the podcast page, that's the last episode that's there. And she also told me you should also learn 3D Max and just Maya and all that because those are industry and standard. But if you mm-hmm. want to just learn the skills, just stick with Blender is fine. But I also install ZBrush as well to, you know, just when I have free time, learn that as well. The, right now, the two things I have is Blender and ZBrush for now. But yes. for, text, for texturing, <laughs> I, I know there's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, ZBrush it seem, does seem that that's one of those things where I know a lot of 2D art, artists try picking up just because it's uh, trying to seem like it is a little bit more um, easier to get into and it feels like sculpting out of clay. It's still got a lot of complexity. It's not as easy as it seems at all. But I know, like you said, it's used a lot. And actually, you know, uh, it's interesting you bring up the point about industry standards because it's true. It feels like, especially on big projects, uh, you know, I guess my... Uh, yeah, and it's 3ds Max, I guess, but I know is really big. And then there's plenty of you know render engines that people use, but uh, different careers. But I, I was going to tell you um, on my project at DD, uh, we hired a couple of freelancers or uh, artists, and kind of it's kind of amazing because of the pandemic. I think we're hiring people all over the world. Like we worked with a couple of people from Brazil; they're really great artists. But uh, they were actually modeling in Blender, exporting models, and they're giving it to us. So I, I was. I was surprised, but happily, like, uh, it was cool to see that because, you know, the tr transition of at least models, you know, animation rigging is harder to transfer between software, but models are relatively easy to tra transfer. You know, you can transfer it like a 3D model pretty much into any software. There's ways to do it. And I thought it was really cool that those guys were just, yeah, modeling in Blender. And once they're done, they just bring it to us and we would put it into a, the Unreal Engine. But it doesn't, like, at that point, it didn't really matter if it was made in Maya as long, actually, the only issue we ran, ran into was the scale uh, transition. So sometimes if you want it to be like, always want it to be in meters and one meter is equal this, I think we had some sort of issues with that. But otherwise, it was cool to see that Blender, like you said, is becoming like a, a normal thing to do. And the fact that it's free, I feel like I wish more software was free for people to use. Um, yeah, exactly. And the thing is actually a really interesting thing I saw like on Twitter someday about I think it was a Blender artist that shared it. On the 2002 Spider-Man movie, all right? Mm -hmm. In the production of, not the 2002, not the first Spider-Man, but the second Spider-Man, but in the development, if as I think in 2003 that they were developing, they used Blender for a lot of like, you know, keyframes. And I was like... <sighs> so cool. Yeah, exactly. At 2003, I was six years old. Imagine that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> We've seen a lot of advancements uh, yeah. while we're little in our age. Totally. Yeah, and I guess because grease, uh, there was grease pencil in Blender. That's probably why they're using it. Oh, yeah, probably, it, yeah. yeah. Because they got that like 2D, 3D look. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea behind Blender is how it's like crowd... Uh, like, I guess they take a lot of feedback from people. Oh, crowdsourced? Not crowdsourced. Crowdfunded. Crowdfunded, I guess, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they take donations, but just the idea behind it, they're... Uh, and, the, to me, the amazing part is that they're as open. good or, or better, yeah, open source, but they're as good or better than any many other 3D software out there that existed for years. You know, their EV and cycles are like the real time rendering is pretty incredible. Uh, I think their modeling, I mean, maybe the tools are not as good. Like, I'm not a modeler, I could be wrong, but it feels like for software that's, you know, that's not a Autodesk company, you know, that's gigantic, got a lot of money. They're doing incredible work and only getting better and better. Uh, so it is pretty exciting. Actually, you know, the, there was a movie. I worked with a guy, uh, Tibor. Uh, he worked in a movie that was fully made in Blender. It was an uh, animated film. Uh, Jen, it's actually on Netflix. I can look it up right now. But yeah, it, sure. It, no worries. It, it's like you're saying, like, people are making things in Blender, and I hope it just keeps going that way. I mean, at the end, I think the end result speaks for itself. I mean, when, like, here's the thing, even with modeling, as you said, I mean, there are so many good, useful add-ons for Blender, which makes modeling so fast and efficient. Like, I have a friend who's a 
working with Maya and I, and basically I know nothing about Maya. I didn't, I don't even open, I haven't never opened Maya in my life. Right. Mm. And he's the reverse of me. He never opened Blender. And when we're, when I'm trying to explain something to him, he was trying to make a scene when there's like a fancy room with chandeliers and all that. And he's, and he's like, how can I do this? How can I do this? And I'm like, all right, you add a modifier and you do this and you do that. And boom, you get the riches. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, no, you yeah. should do that. And he said, no, in the tutorial, the guy did it is individual. Like, I'm like, maybe you, uh, are, are there modifiers in Maya? And he said, yes, but it was much faster in Blender, basically. Like, more intuitive in a sense. I don't know. Maybe I should pick up Maya. Mm. Maybe I, I'm just speaking yeah. out of ignorance. Sorry for anyone who's was kind of uh, triggered by that. Maya users love Maya. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically Maya is much more... I, I said Maya, sorry. I mean, Blender is much more intuitive and the fact that it's open source also, I mean, helps a lot, honestly. Yeah. I mean, oh God, the yeah. box cutter add-on. I love it. Box cutter. Oh, dude, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I played with, a little bit with that. It's... Uh... I love that that makes it, I mean, it skips a couple of processes, right? Like a skips a lot more clicks where you could just yeah. cut out shapes for sure. Yeah. I don't think Maya doesn't have that thing. Cause like the modifiers you're talking about, the cool thing is that it's non-destructive, right? Like you could always go back to your original thing. Like it's like working in layers, like with nodes almost. Yeah. I'm sure maybe, you know, Maya's got its, uh, and it must, it must have its own benefits, you know, both softwares probably do, but I, you know, the last time I worked in Maya, there was no such thing as modifiers that you're seeing, uh, in Blender, it's a really interesting approach how they thought to do that, and then you know got all the things like uh, the fun things like array and all the other modifiers to generate really cool, um, yeah, just geometry in, in interesting ways. It's always fun to play with. All right, and speaking of working with Maya, I want to ask you this: um, How does your design process usually look like anytime you want to start working on a project, or it could be a, like a studio project or a personal project? Doesn't matter. Basically. What does the structure of your pipeline looks like? Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, it's, it's funny. I was uh, the other day. I was trying to make a scene, and I had some reference, and I wanted to make three images, uh, kind of sequentially. And I tried doing, like, tried setting up a scene in Blender, just because I do like the idea of being able to change lighting, uh, and you know, play with that. But I realized that the the hours or the days that I spent setting up this three D scene. I should have just went straight forward to painting and drawing like I usually do. Usually, I'm I just I, I just draw. I I'm very much start out with line. I recently did a drawing of a character and I started from painting and I just my brain doesn't think that way. I know some artists they just start out with shapes and start blocking painting. Uh, I feel like my design choices are not as good if I do that. If I draw, I feel like through drawing I can take my time to think about not only design choices, but then like shape design itself. But you know, for example, like if you're trying to draw a hinge on a robot and you want it to work a certain way, I can think through it better through drawing than through painting. Cause to me, I think once I start painting it, I, I probably start thinking about value and certain things too much. Um, so the process is relatively straightforward. Uh, do my research, find my reference, uh, find, enough reference make a what, are, what is it like pure ref throw a bunch of things on there on the other screen screen on the right start drawing sketching and um relatively straightforward in that way i'm still trying to kind of optimize or find better ways of going into value and color from drawings because i feel like it's always a challenge when the transition from drawing to painting for myself because a lot of really interesting edges and shapes are harder to translate when you paint just because you don't draw the, you don't paint those creases right away. So that's something I'm trying to figure out that a little bit better. And you know, some people would just go into like a flat colors, multiply layer texture, like very process oriented. I'm kind of in between. I'm uh, sometimes it kind of it's a little bit more chaotic, sometimes not because I, I've done 
um, you know, many years of traditional painting and fine art, I, and I would say like what I lean towards in fine art is a little bit more impressionistic. So see making brushstrokes uh, visible, but and using them as part of piece of work, not hiding them. I think sometimes if I'm trying to solve a problem visually when I'm painting, you know, instead of using just like overlay multiply layers, which kind of go on and start, start painting right away. Um, trying to consider value, um, temperature shifts, uh, hues and everything all at once. It's very difficult, but sometimes my brain does work that way. If I need to kind of solve a problem visually, if something doesn't work. Um, the reason I mentioned is I feel like still trying to discover a process and every painting kind of ends up being different. But I do find if it's a complicated environment, for example, definitely makes sense to keep a lot of layers separate and making sure that I got my clipping masks so that I could render and shade everything separately. Yeah, but um, I, I do wish I was more proficient in 3D, I suppose. I see a lot of power in it. I sometimes use it for work, but I, I'm still trying to figure out how much and at what point to use it. It makes sense. I was speaking with a friend last night. It makes sense to use it if you're doing like a really complicated cityscape, you know, and you want to, you know, uh, like a 20 FOV, uh, like a, no, I guess it would be, yeah, 20 FOV lens, or like, let's say you want a really wide lens. Sometimes it's so much harder to draw it, even if you just threw a bunch of boxes and that's your drawing to start from, at least you figure out perspective, that's uh, super useful. So it's my capacity of using 3D, like you're saying, the pipeline in my art, it's probably pretty basic in 3D, and then the rest is just draw and paint. Awesome, and uh, and from I know like it's a whole meme in 3D art community. Basically, like you know there was there was a meme. I mean, it's not that much anymore. Like years ago, when there was the meme of vegans can't stop themselves from seeing they're vegans. Like yeah. right right now, the Blender users are that group of people in the three D community. They can't stop saying, "Oh, use Blender! Why didn't you start Blender?" You know, and yeah, 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 I, so I, I just wanted to say that, but I didn't realize about this meme. But yeah, I'm aware of that. But honestly, like for a start, like genuinely, it's good because for the most important reason, it's free. Yeah. And um, also, here's the thing. I mean, I don't know about you if you're in Canada how the download regulations are this way, but I'm sure in Kazakhstan, you know, countries around the area like Iran, I'm from Iran in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. We literally pirate the softwares, you know, and um, you yes. could do it that way too, you know. And you don't even need to go to download shady torrents. Just uh, there's a website called Soft98.ir. It's a famous Iranian website. Okay. I'm, I'm getting yeah, giving, I'm not sponsored by them, but you can find the latest version of everything. You can even pirate Windows for for fuck's sake. I mean, um, let's be real. Yeah. I don't think the, you know, in Kazakhstan, and, you know, it's a, the same in Russia as my relatives. But yeah, growing up in Kazakhstan, it's, yeah, you're you're rarely buying Windows. But also, the I don't know if it's the same for you. It's just it's unaffordable for anyone in Kazakhstan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Windows. Like, it, it costs way too much. Like there's no translation fee. You would pay what a person in U in US yeah. would pay with their US salary. But so that's why you know it's the same thing. People pirated. People you know it was always a common thing. You know playing like buying yeah. games that are cracked. It's just that was the norm, unfortunately. But yeah, it's that's how it goes. No, not unfortunately. Fortunately, because it's free. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, just... it's free stuff for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but oh, yeah, I see what yeah but to jump back to the whole thing yeah i mean try not to pirate stuff try to pay for them if you want like here's the thing i pirated a lot of games when i was a kid I, because that's the literally the only option like yeah. if, if you if you 
like we can't just buy a $60 game from like a third world country, you know? $60 exactly. right now is like a month and a half or a month worth of food for affordable living for a month. So even now, mm-hmm. so imagine like 10 years ago, for example, or 15 years ago. And um, yeah. the thing is, I actually went back on Steam and bought a, and supported a lot of the games that I used to play. And I bought them again on there's on my Steam. And here's the thing, Steam is great because it has translation fees. So even for Turkey, where I am, it's relatively cheap as hell. Mm-hmm. Like it's the price of a normal meal right now, some games right now, which is not that much, which is good. That's great. And yeah. um, the the problem is right now, it's been like four months now. They disabled in Argentina and Turkey Steam, so I you can't buy anything because the economies are going so down bad. So they want their economies to get regulated so they can open the economy, like you know, bank portals for Turkish people as well. Right now, you can't wow. buy anything on Turkey. Wait, so you you don't have access to uh, like um, I guess international websites Payment. to buy things? Um, but is yes. it because, because okay? Yeah. Yes, sorry, go on. No, I wanted to ask: Is it because the government wants you to spend money internally so you fuel the economy? No, 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 no. Yeah, Turkey does stuff like that. I mean, Vodafone is just inter like Vodafone Mastercard and Visa card are just nationally here, but uh, oh, cool. Cool. there are like you know websites that you can still pay international, so it's fine. Like they have their own places here in turkey as well but for i heard for argentina right now and turkey they disable all oh, payment okay. options in steam because I, I bought games before on in turkey here on steam and mm-hmm. um the thing is because the economies are going so down bad like the prices are getting just sky- everything everything is skyrocketing are rocketing in turkey is ex- experiencing a weird super inflation in the past couple of months which is now getting really worse like Do you know pro- if there's a reason for it like is there a main reason or yes there's a lot of reason for it i mean the one of the main reasons for it is because not to give it like a financial economy lecture here but long story <laughs> short um a lot of the major companies of turkey had a lot of debt in back in 2018 2019 and basically they were kind of recovered. They at the time, even at 2019, 2018, they increased a lot of ta- the, the government to support those companies, increased a lot of taxes to so they can get back and repay their taxes. But what happened in 2020? Well, bada bing, bada boom, Corona came, <laughs> and <laughs> that kind of made everything impossible. So we're back at the square, not just square one, a square minus like one or something. We're below that now to recover from that. To still for the for the major big companies and industries to repay their debt, they're now skyrocketing the everything again, so they can mm. repay. This is kind of like that in the shortest version possible. But there's a lot of factors involved, of course, and mm. um, but that's the main reason. And yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder how many countries. I mean, all countries were affected by COVID, but yeah, that, that's what the scary part is. People say is you know we're gonna have to. Like to recover from it globally for many countries will, will take years, right? Because everyone was affected. So it makes you wonder how bad it could be. And then, you know, now there's a war and shortage of oil. Oh, God. And, uh, or it's not, there's not shortage of oil, but there's shortage of uh, oil being moved. Yeah, it's just, it, it's so weird sometimes to think about working as an artist and thinking, yeah. how, you know, our, our careers are, we're kind of independent. Uh, of course, the economy is affected, but what we do is so. Uh, independent it doesn't affect all the these kind of seemingly important things um and art is very important but what i mean is like for survival uh, the way we're so separate from it is it, it's strange to be feels like in a situation like this you know we're we're creating entertainment for the world uh, which is 
clearly important when you look at historically at era, like depression eras or even if you go back to Rome and the way they try to entertain the citizens to distract them from the kind of the pitfalls or to distract them from the bad times. It would be entertainment or, you know, the depression era would be movies, right, to distract the people. So there's, and that's through the bad times and the good times you can inspire through art. So I can see the importance, but then when it comes to at least like real world struggles of people not having food or they can't afford anything, you feel like uh, your contribution is very small, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I kind of understand what you're meaning, but the thing is like less real, um, Art, we're, we're kind of like all of us who are even listening to this podcast, anyone who's listening to the podcast, even me, you, we're, we're privileged to be able to practice and learn art and do art and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, the weird thing is even a lot of, uh, I had two guests on the podcast who were kind of Ukrainian and I know like some of them are kind of struggling in the whole situation right now, which is kind of surreal for me. Yeah. And um, I hope like, honestly, this whole mess gets cleaned up as soon as possible. And I know, like, even if, if I say like this, like trying to look all oh, serious and empathetic, like it doesn't mean shit. I get that. But I generally hope like things get better. So, you know, we can actually like, here's a weird thing. As you said, you know, art had an important historical, like, you know, basically usefulness in terms of like entertaining people during the depression era and all that. But humans are like fascinating creatures. Like I feel like an alien now saying this, but <laughs> but like here's they entertain themselves with religion because here's the thing. If, if you try to give an answer and just feel this void of like this curiosity in humans, Oh, when you die, you go there, you go to heaven or hell and blah, blah, blah. And all of that. You don't worry at all anymore about those stuff. So you can then use them for war. Oh, don't worry. If you die, you go to heaven. Like, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, no, no, no worries. You know? So they kind of, like, entertain themselves with this stuff. But I, yeah. I think at the end of the day, when you really think about it, all stuff, which is kind of, like, you know, fresh topic for me, because in the past month, I had some serious existentialism, depression, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, yeah. But long story short, for anyone who's listening, is that... Let me give you like a spoiler alert of all your existentialism. And this is literally all you need, honestly. I, it, I know it's, it kind of sounds egotistical of me to say that, but honestly, just bear with me. At the end of the day, like knowing what happens, where we go or where we came from doesn't matter because you have no control over it, all right? So you can go really read Bhagavad Gita, you can go read Quran, you can go read the Bible and all that. I know it, I, this is kind of, I feel like this is getting kind of sound offensive to some people, but I don't give a shit. So listen, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So don't worry about that. The only thing you can do is try to live up to your potential and try to live a life that when you take your last breaths, be content and happy when you do. So have a clear conscience when you do. So mm-hmm. I guess, and just go after what you love. I mean, that's that's about it. I mean, I guess I know it's like, it sounds kind of sappy, I know, but yeah, this is literally all you need for life, honestly. I mean, why people make life complicated? Like, what else is there? Like, what else is in our power? Nothing. The only thing is mm-hmm. in our power is like, how we live our life. I mean, yeah, so, so, some of us are more privileged than others to you know, con- like, surf our options and explore our options. But at the end of the day, that's about it, you know? Yeah, it's very wholesome. You just, you just offended a bunch of religious people, but I just that's okay. I just my hands free out of my ear, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, but I, I, I like the, you know, if you can simplify life. I, I, I suppose, like you said, it, depend, depending on the privilege and where you are, the, the, your kind of access to live a fully happy or wholesome or positive life varies, but... 
Uh, I feel like that, the simplification you're saying, especially when it comes to kind of hoping for the afterlife, I do like that idea because, and I'm sure, you know, this been echoed by many kind of uh, philosophers, intellectuals. I'm sure we're just, uh, you know, two artists trying to uh, talk about meaning, but I, I do agree with you, with you that if you think that you live, like you only have one life, you're going to, you're more likely to make it better than if you think there's going to be a better life after there's a chance that you may not, uh, you know, live it live it to the fullest potential you know or as you say just because you're hoping for something else but again we're probably offending a bunch of people who are into religion and yeah it doesn't matter actually like here's the fun (laughs) thing like here's the thing the people who have like been listening to this episode for many fifth six they're probably actually people who are invested in art or you know there are conversations so um they're probably cool guy who's still listening actually here's a weird thing i have a lot of i know like for a fact i have a lot of i have not a lot but a bunch of followers who are like way right conservative islamists like in my following mm-hmm. list like i know that for, for sure like i mean no denying all right <laughs> who are pro mm-hmm. are pro iranian government and stuff like that so yeah they, I, we probably offend those as well <laughs> but, but it'd be, you know it'd be interesting to speak to uh, like you're saying if uh, it'd be interesting to speak to someone who let's say is like a, extremely into some sort of religion it'll be interesting to see how their opinion on creating outward goes right because i would you know you often hear people who are for example uh maybe i don't know very christian but maybe muslim as well where it's like if it's a gift of god they're channeling through them right that's something you would hear from someone who's like very extremely into it but then it'd be interesting to see if for example a person who's very much uh, heavily into religion and you know then they're working on a game like silent hill and they're creating crazy terrifying monsters i wonder you know i'm they must, the, there must be artists who are heavily into religion. It'll be interesting to see how they explain uh, that occurrence, right? Because everyone's got a different point of view. I think it would actually be pretty fascinating uh, to see how people approach their no, creative process. I can't understand your perspective, but trust me, um, it's not that a fascinating subject because I had that experience a couple of times. <laughs> like, uh, okay. less Sorry. real. And <laughs> but the thing is, actually, here's the interesting thing. Uh, do you know Dr. K? Is a is a is now a famous YouTuber now. Doctor, he's a psychologist healthy no, gamer doctor he, he makes extremely okay. good uh, videos and just interviews and stuff like that you should definitely check him out and he made a video about passion all right and it was super interesting and here's the thing one of these uh, viewers said all right I, I don't know how to find my passion i'm right now passionate about my basketball but i'm passionate about that bas- i like basketball but i don't know if i'm passionate and he said like you wouldn't be passionate about basketball if you were born 200 years ago and he said some interesting stuff that you actually develop passion some like amazing stuff but basically long story short here let me say this yes if we both of us were born 100 years ago we wouldn't be interested in digital art and 3d art and all that stuff you know we probably would have gone to be i don't know other stuff you know other obviously other things but here's the thing imagine you were born like 2000 years ago aside Mm -hmm. imagine you're you don't care about survival that much. You live frugally. You you feast on berries and I don't know stuff like that. So here's the thing: I realize it's up to us how we make our life, the meaning we get, how the passion we make. It, not just about life, the passion we make. Like for example, here I I assure you, if I was born two thousand years ago, you would find me collecting rocks. I I shit you not. I'm sh- I know the character I am. I would be probably collecting rocks and just pile them up together and try to figure out how to make buildings. I probably would have been that. Honestly. <laughs> and and the thing is like even in Minecraft like uh, I know it's kind of getting sound absurd but honestly if you ask have you played Minecraft by the way? 
Uh, a little bit, yeah. Sure. Here's the thing. I'm familiar. Yeah, a lot of people who play Minecraft, they're like, this is stupid, what do you do? And because there's no compass, there's no quest logs, you know, you don't know what to do. There are, like, certain main things you do in the game, like killing the dragon and all that stuff. But, mm -hmm. um... The meaning to the game, you give it to it. It's a world. It's kind of, it, it, this is getting kind of weird, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. the meaning you give to the world you're playing in is b based on you. And I'm the type of, type of person that you leave me in a Minecraft world, I make a city, probably. And and I do. It's, it's still sometimes for, for relaxation, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's up to your creativity and just, you know, curiosity. You know, what do you want it to be? You know, what do you want to do? You know? And it, it is interesting that the character that it shows, right? It reveals your personality through the actions that you're you're describing, right? Like exactly. you're the kind of person who would you would create meaning for yourself. That's a very interesting point because so many people are goal oriented. Where if you are just if you're you get, get enjoyment from just being creative in this vacuum, right? Like you said, there's no goal. You're just creating things. Exactly. That's, a, that's an interesting trait. And here's the thing. I wonder what. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go on, go on. I interrupted. You. Sorry. Go on. No, no. Your turn, man. We're gonna be polite. I'm Canadian. Let's go. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. All right. Sorry, I'll go on. And the thing is, like, even one of my biggest fears in general is going blind. I know it sounds kind of weird and crazy, but we all have the one of those, you know, worrying, yeah. anxious feel, you know. I think, and I was like, if I go blind, every my world will become upside down. But then I mm. realized, oh, all right, I can't live alone anymore, and blah blah blah. And I, I don't love being alone. That's one of the my biggest fears. And I realized, all right, even if I go blind, I can still make stuff, right? You know, yeah, uh, it would be. Uh, I, I, I can relate to that fear. It's especially you know you and I yeah. both realize so much in visual. But, but when you say you can create things like you, you mean sculpting? What would you do? Sculpting. You have to frame your frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah, sculpting, knitting. I don't know. There's a lot of things you can do. Like even yeah. if I lose both of my arms and I just and I'm just a blind with two legs. All right, this is kind of getting dark, but bear with me. Uh, I can put my foot in a bottle of like in a bucket of paint and just walk around and just make stuff i don't know there, there's so many it's it's up to you what you do a lot so of, you think you have the need to be creative yeah always you think that's, that's that's something that wouldn't go away yeah kind of because i would go insane if i do nothing you know mm, yeah. like animals are kind of content with just you know surviving and breathing and just pass under the and die i mean here's the thing that Every animal and living being kind of has that uh, urge to an extent, but when you go after that, you're that's basically what the thing that your soul desires, some sort of fulfillment, you know? And uh, by the way, I hope everyone is listening to this podcast. I've been enjoying this philosophical talk and we've intrigued <laughs> yeah. some spark in your brains and thoughts throughout the day. And oh, those are definitely interesting topics, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you kind of give it a meaning, but because besides that, what else is there? I, 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 my brain doesn't compute as I, outside of like just being creative, you know, because that's the thing I find fun, you know? Yeah, but but then how do you relate? So I'm sure you have friends who are like, who are not creative, who are not into art, mm -hmm. and then you realize their, like their desire, um, they don't have the desire to create and, you know, some people find their hobbies or ways to meaning uh, and some don't. But how do you relate to the people who can, can't understand you in your pursuit, right? Because a lot of people wouldn't get this, what you're saying. You know, like some people, uh, it's I guess it's a different mindset because I'm sure a lot of artists, you know, when you've done work, 
probably want to try to get better and create something again. You know, depends on who you are, I suppose. But there's a lot of people who, you know, if your job is, you know, not creative in this, like a, in, in the sense that we're talking about, you know, I'm sure, you know, finance can also be creative in different ways. But let's say you're in finance. A lot of people, when they're done with their job, they don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to do more of that job when they go home or something like that. So um, how, how do you see or relate to those people? Because these are two different personalities you're describing. How are you talking about? Very good question. I have actually a complete answer for that. And uh, here's the thing. Creativity as a thing, yes, of course, by nature, our jobs and professions are creative. You know, it's in the name. It's a creative field, all right? But I think the the creativity, in my opinion, is an essence that's in everywhere, every job, every single job, all right? And here's the thing, to those to the, those personality types that I you talked about, I've seen them a lot in, I, I even know people who are like that, and, you know, and nothing wrong with that, by the way, I mean, but the thing is, in my opinion, usually those type of personalities, the only thing that matters for them is stability, good job, um, good thing for family, which is, of course, every one of us does, I mean, I think those are bad things, but there's nothing beyond that for them, and like, that's my point, you know, there's nothing, like... Even here's the thing, I used to work as a waiter for a while, you know, I, I don't know, like you, as you said, mentioned, like earlier, <laughs> I don't know if you're mm-hmm. a waiter or not, but um, here's the thing, I didn't care if I was a waiter, because I dropped out of college, I didn't, I wasn't passionate about it, I didn't give a shit if I was boarding as a waiter, but because at the end of the day, here's the thing, I even choose art with no, not with the knowledge of the fact that if it fails, I don't care, because I give it my shot, and even if I have to become a waiter or homeless, as long I get at least I got you know making art and stuff like that you know I'm happy with that honestly I'm happy with being mm-hmm. homeless and just still doing art but I mean here's the thing if someone's quality of art is good they'll never be homeless but that's another topic yeah um, it is but uh, I can relate to the people and some level because we all need some sort of security in our lives but what's beyond that because a, a lot of people's happiness stems from, like, you know, p- other people or material mm-hmm. things. My happiness does not stem from those stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. My happiness stems from creativity and doing things that are hard, challenges that are hard for me, you know, and um, trying to, that's where I get a fulfillment, you know? Overcoming challenges, doing things that are correct, like creative, especially, you know, because in any situation I can be creative, even if, even if I'm in jail, for example. You, you can find a way like okay this is getting kind of weird topic but what yeah. i'm trying to point out here is trying to find something for yourself that you can carry it with you everywhere you know mm-hmm. and that is there for you so you don't go insane and so if, for example you're alone you know the the, the tip uh, maybe it's a gen- general question like if you're living like by yourself on an island you'd still be creative I still, well, yes. creative is very vast, but you still make things, right? Exactly. And here's, I swear to you, before you even start asking that question, I was thinking about being alone on an island. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes, actually, the, the here's the thing. I probably would, the first thing I would do is make a shelter, like in every survival crafting game you do, of course. <laughs> yeah. Then if there's an, a snake or a poison spike that doesn't kill me, I will try to map out the whole island make some posts and signs in case, you know, help comes by. And if it doesn't come, I'll start making huge statues on it. So people, when they come, they think, oh, it's from an ancient civilization. It's Asian. But then, <laughs> no, bitch, it's by me. And like I just died. Yeah, you exactly. dreamed about this before. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I drank it when I watched Madagascar 1 in 2004 when I was a kid. So, yeah. 
Okay, there you go. Thought through it. Yeah, but it's an interesting one because I think some people uh, derive a lot of pleasure um, from the art being also received by others. Uh, and, you know, I guess some people, I'm including myself in that group where I do find that, especially when I, when, when I was making fine art or something like more traditional paintings, it felt like uh, the piece was complete when it was seen by others because I, I think the reaction or their interpretation is also very important to piece of art and and i i think it is important to separate from it as well uh, i definitely don't want to be in a position where i only make artwork for like you know people to be seen there's plenty of reasons to make artwork for like you said for to get to improve to understand the process to enjoy the process to uh, to try to tell something that you're experiencing uh, but it is tricky and uh, it would be interesting to know how many people uh, would not make artwork if it, w- it couldn't be seen by others, right? Because you're saying in your case, you could, you would just do it forever, no matter yes. what situation yes. you're in. But, uh, you know, it's a, there's so many different personalities. I'll be, cur- be curious to find out, like, w- what is a general consensus? Or not consensus, but, like, what is a general trait amongst those people? I, w- I don't know. What do you think? I would imagine a lot of people would still continue creating just because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a mode that we know how to live with, right? It's such a big part of our lives. Yeah, here's the thing, like, I actually uh, can understand what you mean, and all of us kind of, like, at some, at, to some extent, love, like, we get a rush of dopamine when one of our artworks gets a lot of likes or some comments or stuff, like, let's be real, all right, for a second, yeah. but the thing is that, um, and I used to be kind of like, like that for a while, and here's the thing, there's a, right now that I'm working with 3D and stuff like that, one of the metas right now, I, it's kind of weird calling it a meta, but this, it, it Art has metas itself in stuff when it comes to genre and stuff like that. One of the basically metas in 3D right now is making orthographic view, like, you know, pieces of a room, you know, that's super popular right now. Everyone eat that shit up right now, you know, seriously. Yeah. And I just made one for my room, not because it's popular or something, because I love to, you know, I recreated my studio that I'm living in right now. And it was kind of fun and I love it, not because of that. But then some people, like one of my friends who's like, I don't want to name his name, but he's, he's, right, he's right now a famous NFT artist, but he's told me that, oh, you should make, make rooms like this and sell them as NFT. And, I'm, and then in my head, I didn't actually react to him in his face, but I was, in my head I was like, oh, dog, what are you saying, man? But yeah, I, I don't care if it sells as an NFT. I, I don't want to even, even make it an NFT, but I, I just make it because I like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all I'm because because example the podcast we're doing right now, I've been mm-hmm. doing it for two years now and more than two years and two months now, and for the first two years I for the first year actually I only had like I think 150 followers, and the mm-hmm. thing that pissed me off was whenever someone saw my page or not guests this is my friends who saw the page and and I didn't shield my page or on my personal page or anything or that they said oh why do you have low followers. Like it's, it's like it's a big thing. Why do you, why don't you have more likes? Why don't you have more things? You're yeah. doing a lot of. I don't care if I get likes or follows. I'm doing it because I believe in it, and and it actually is, I think, a cool idea. That's all that matters. You know, mm-hmm. if, if that was the case, I I couldn't, I wouldn't have the endurance to continue it for 157 episodes. You know. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. So you're doing it with, I guess, you're you trying to say is like with true intentions, not because. Is gonna like the intention is not specifically to get money or followers. Yeah, exactly. That can always come, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and here's the thing, I I generally like there's also a lot of because it, there's a lot of philosophies behind the podcast, but one of the main ones is that everyone, regardless of like you know their skill level and the the where they are on their journey, 
have something mm. of value to say. They all have unique experiences. And that's one of the fulfilling things. And it's kind of fulfilling for me because it, it feels like I'm doing something with my life, you know, and mm. kind of sharing that with others. And to some extent, I, I have some group of like dedicated followers who listen to the podcast and stuff like that, which they always give uh, good feedback and they say how they enjoy the podcast. So that kind of, you know, gives me that sort of feel for creating more. So that's enough for me. Like, I mean, yeah, it would, be, good. it would be awesome if I get more views or followers and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? But I don't care if it happens. That's the point. You know, even with my art, I'm doing my art. I'm yeah. learning, trying to make my resume. Like my goal for this year is to, by the end of this year, get good at 3D because I started 3D just the start of 2022. So pretty recent. And mm-hmm. so I, my, my goal is to just, by the end of this year, have a good portfolio and resume to actually get commissions and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's about it. And even if it, that, that doesn't happen, I'll go just work as a waiter or something. You know, I, I, I don't give a shit. I mean, I, I'll follow my dreams and stuff like that. But if you have that sort of belief in your plans in life, like nothing will stop you, honestly. Nothing will discourage you. Nothing will, you know, you'll live happier, honestly, when you actually, mm-hmm. for the real, realest form possible, don't give a shit about anything else. Yeah. You got the hunger. But I do, but don't you find that, um, I guess what you're describing is like the very pure desire to create. And I, and it's interesting, I think, to see people who are probably older than us, whose perspective is very different. I would imagine my guess is that like, I think that mentality probably works up until you have kids. And if you have kids, I think that mentality completely shifts, right? Because I think the the ability to say like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm just going to do no matter how I am financially is uh, like that only works when you're responsible just for yourself. And maybe like, I don't know what your like financial situation is. I, I would imagine like, um, you know, if you're, let's say like you're bringing an example, like if you're homeless, you probably don't have a computer or a place to plug it in. So your chances of trying to make a living are very different unless you're okay with discomfort and you're okay, you know, like your reality being, you know, built around you a certain way. I think that's, uh, I don't know if it's easy. I mean, maybe that's easier to say for both of you and I, because, you know, both of us have electricity right now. We're living in a, uh, you know, we have places to live in, but it's a, I think it's a, it's a perspective you, you know, we can have because there's a certain amount of like a safety net that maybe we got. But I, I do, I think it's cool that, you know, be able to live in a civilization or in society where your bases are covered, where you could feel like that and truly pursue something. But I, the reason I mentioned it, I just think like that perspective uh, may only work up until you either have dependence and or your, uh, you know, it's an opinion or your financial financial situation is affected so that you can't just go on and make it. I think. Uh, yeah, you're hundred percent. It's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. I know, but. Uh, let me tell you something, actually. You're kind of right about the whole forming a family. Yes, I mean, if you want to form a family, you can't have that mentality anymore. Of course. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't be an irresponsible jerk and just um, <laughs> not think about the future and every aspect and details of things and bring a child into this world and they will have a discomfortable, discomforting kind of life and upbringing. That's that's on you and you shouldn't do that. Of course, of course that's mm-hmm. like a given. But... I mean, of course, I would continue art and creative once I know I have that stability to, you know, from a family and stuff like that, if it, one day I wanted to do that. But even mm-hmm. even becoming homeless, like, you can find a piece of charcoal somewhere or you can find a piece of, like, I don't know, you can bake for pencils somewhere. I don't know. It, it's not that hard to find a <laughs> medium to work with when you're poor. You can... Listen, imagine getting a piece of charcoal and just making huge-scale graffitis over, like, under a bridge. Someone will notice it. 
we're in an age of social media. I guess you're right. Yeah, I, it just sounds like it's like romanticized. I've never been homeless, so I wouldn't know. I just it, it seems very hard. Like, I, I kind of uh, want. I kind of nearly was. I kind of once was for a couple of days back in my long story, <laughs> back in my home yeah. country, and I nearly kind of got homeless here for a week. Nearly, <laughs> I didn't nearly, but I kind of. <laughs> but I'm familiar with those feelings. And by the way, for the next two months, if I don't, um, I I couldn't like I have some plans here if i if they didn't pan out i have to go actually forget all this art thing for a while and just work somewhere you know mm-hmm. uh, because i'm kind of betting on myself to you know there are some certain goals i have right now and financially of course if those yeah. pan I'll, I'll basically i don't care if i'm fine with discomfort and I, like i mean it's fine i mean what's the worst you you have to sleep on floor cold floor <laughs> i mean when, when you yeah, have it's impressive here's the thing if you have nothing to lose, why are you afraid of living outside? They're going to steal your sparse phone. You're going to steal your Apple Watch or something. Who gives a shit? Steal my shirt. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's very admirable. If you are if you have that little attachment, it's very impressive. I did just to be... Uh, yeah, it takes time, honestly. It, well, that means your like your desire to be creative is not even really affected by where or how you you show your work as long as you get to make it. Pretty interesting. It's fascinating. Exactly, and I, I honestly urge everyone to try to explore. And I think a huge reason for that for me, like I, I'm right now in in three months, I'm 25, like, mm-hmm. and and I haven't seen anyone around my. I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm some sort of enlightened guy or something. No, I'm not. I'm. A, I'm a, I'm an idiot, you know, but but I I've, I haven't seen anyone like around my same age. It's, it's been super rare who like thought about this stuff or you know kind of like that. Which is I think one of the main reasons that I've managed to you know come to all these conclusions is because for a long time I've been alone my whole life. Like even here I, I kind of live alone for years. I'm kind of fine mm-hmm. with that. But when you and I talk with people, one of the main things they're kind of afraid or discomfort by is, oh, how do you deal with loneliness? Uh, what do you do? Or don't you get bored? Or what? Like, don't you go insane? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is awesome. Like, like here's <laughs> the thing. I'm I'm not antisocial, by the way. I have a lot of friends. Like, you know, uh, I I sometimes go outside and meet them. You know, and I I still in touch with a lot of my old friends from my Iran. Like, I'm not antisocial or, or introverted or anything like that, but. When you can find joy when you're lonely, then you're ready to, I think, kind of, you get more joy when you are with other people, like you get a point or something like that, because that's important, I think. Like, because when you when you can't stand yourself being alone, you kind of become too attached to the relationships you have. Not just, I mean, I don't mean relationship in terms of like love relationship or stuff like that. I mean, even friendships mm. and stuff like that. So I think being comfortable with being alone and all your thoughts, like even imagine you're in a jail cell for the rest of your life. Yeah. No, imagine yeah, someone, okay. someone told you. Yeah. Someone is yeah. told you and you're there. How do you keep your sanity intact? Yeah. That you, you go insane for a bit because that's something new for you. But after a while, you, start to come to these realizations one by one if you're open-minded to the like the possibility of you being stayed there for a long time you know if you're mm. not open-minded you don't come to these realizations honestly like you know if you go for a close-minded and you you stick to your identity you made for yourself you go insane and you go batshit insane mm-hmm. you know yeah 
I, I like how you're going to this. I, I've actually thought about similar things. Just be, like as in like that that idea of like if you're ever yeah, if you're alone because you have to rationalize the meaning of life for yourself in a very different way. <laughs> this is all far away and different from art, but I, yeah, it, it, it isn't. True. But do you think you have were you always okay with being alone? Like did you or this is this no. something you had to work on? No, That's something okay. I had to work on honestly. But um, I, since I was a child, I kind of was on my own and I was fi- I was always entertaining myself some way. I, mm-hmm. I like I don't, I was in a f- I wasn't an only child. I have two my older brothers above me, but mm-hmm. I, I was always a kind of like loner. Not because I was a I mean loner in general, but because the environment wasn't good. But so from mm-hmm. the beginning, I kind of was like I got kind of getting I got used to you know, like being alone and being a loner in everything, you know. And um, even with the podcast, like at the beginning, I didn't know shit about video editing or audio editing or even graphic design and stuff like that i learned them all on my own because i wanted to be a one-man pro- project and no one was involved in this past two years and a half that i've been doing the podcast it's all me the graphic design the logo design the yeah. changes in the format the audio that the whole thing and that's awesome I, yeah. and i kind of like it that way you know I wonder if that's why, you know, it, it's it's not a new thought, but it's, uh, you know, the fact that you probably had to, like you said, entertain yourself when you're little. And it must be like, that's where your brain is probably getting wired into being creative. So you can entertain yourself. I would imagine I that a lot of artists are, right? Like introverts or they're maybe, like you said, like kind of loners. And so you have to find ways to, I don't know, make your life interesting. So you start imagining worlds or things and, right? It, it's cliche, but I think it's cliche for a reason. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that could be one of the main things that helped to that attribute mm-hmm. like contributed to that whole thing but uh, yeah these conversations are always kind of interesting and one of the reasons i kind of like podcasting and doing the podcasting is we kind of produce organically in flow this type mm-hmm. of conversations and these are i think are rare and i think are kind of interesting like here's the thing i'm making a product that i personally would listen to you know that's the main mm-hmm. thing and um right. you, you can't have this yeah. yeah and you can't have these other any other places other than like just genuine podcasts, you know? Well, you can't, you can't listen in on it, but I I suppose like if you took some time and got some coffees and drinks with your friends, but I I do, I do, I know what you mean, where I think, especially if someone wants to learn and if you're speaking with people with experience or even just like different frame of mind, right? It's, it's always interesting to listen in on a, like you're saying the long form or uh, long conversations to really try to get inside someone's mind. Uh, and get someone's perspective. I agree with you. I, I, that's what I find that interesting about it as well. But I do also, I, I, I don't know what you think about specifically in art field, because we're in a way, this is a, in a, a niche podcast, right? Because the, there's a lot of artists, but I, I, it is interesting how many people are willing to reach out and even listen. And even though, you know, there's a lot of uh, information out there, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that even though there's a lot of information out there, like in variety of podcasts, I, I don't know if everyone's, is always just curious about to pay attention to these kind of conversations, right? Like, um, and then it's kind of, I'm also speaking from experience of like, uh, you know, doing similar, like a similar form of interviews, but I always find it interesting because, um, you may do it for the love and you, uh, of it. And also I would imagine you're curious enough where you yourself want to learn these things, right? Like you do it genuinely to talk to people, to like just yourself, like learning about different processes, but it feels like, uh, I guess maybe it feels like it's like a, sometimes it feels like a shame maybe 
in a way because you're talking about kind of marketing and finding more followers that sometimes like maybe not enough people would know about it because there's certainly a lot of uh, gold in there but i also know on the flip side to this point sometimes i myself don't want to listen to like you, you don't go and listen to every podcast out there right and you know there's probably like you know let's say 10 15 maybe 20 really good ones that are have many you know artists on them but it's it's maybe sometimes the format and sometimes how people do it and maybe sometimes how people uh, create questions or what kind of flow they have. In the end, it's about personality. But I just, uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make, it feels like there's so much knowledge out there, but I feel like sometimes people don't actually go out and seek it, even though they can, they may be able to find it. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of, yeah, I, you made, you raised some interesting points here. Like, yes, I mean, there are some, uh, whole issue about like you know people not wanting to listen to podcasts or just a page when the following is not that high it's kind of like a psychological thing like i'm kind of like we're all to extend like this for example like if you go on a youtube channel and see the subscribers are for example 120 but and it's about like blender you probably wouldn't open their tutorials you know let's let's be real all right i, I get mm-hmm. that i understand that i empathize with that but the thing is that um the, the fact that I mentioned earlier that you shouldn't care about, you know, what other people think and have that genuine, like, main, that the desire to create should be from within you, not from external factors. Yeah. I think that kind of helps to, you know, just crush through everything and go for it. And let me see, there was something else you kind of said I wanted to say um, about the whole podcast. Uh, oh, here's the thing. A lot of the other art podcasts I found out was uh, they weren't that like conversate, like not com- like they weren't that story driven. You know, it was mostly mm-hmm. about like you know the art journey, the art aspects, the, the all art everything. I mean, I love that. I mean, of course, I want to learn from that. Awesome, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen much that actually explores someone's story of how they become mm-hmm. an in depth like become artists what they think about different stuff you know not just art because i think one of the main sparks that happened to me was because back in my hometown in the old part in the old districts of like you know zandia street of shiraz which is from 200 300 years ago there's still old old homes like that there was an artist mm-hmm. which i which i'm still in contact with his name is Adel Yazdi, and i want and i wish to one day bring him on the podcast as well and he's an amazing artist like a sculptor painter he's one of those actual fine artists he has a phd in theology called art or something and he's an interesting character you know those that those type of characters you see in books or movies you know and he's uh his workshop is in a really old house and i and i had the mm-hmm. privilege to go to his house and see his workshop and everything and his artwork is kind of like it's kind of a bad word to use but it's kind of like virus spreading all over the district like the ground zero <laughs> of his art is like that i mean of course he that's kind of weird analogy but you get the point like yeah. he's a magician basically in art and i'm wondering and here's another thing in front of him two houses uh, in front of his house there's another old house and there was another old artist it was 60 or something and he was he made portrait paintings with Nescafe, as in Nescafe, like literally coffee, okay. from 40 years ago, and it's still intact. And he huh. was also an interesting fellow as well. He had 40 pigeons all over his house. Like, there was pigeons flying around. Like, it, like, we, and, I'm, and I'm like, here's the thing. And they're not famous. That's the thing. They're not famous at all. No one knows them. Mm. Only a select few knows them. And... God, like you have no idea. You should be there to see what I'm talking about. Those, and I know that there are a lot of artists all over the world like that, you know. And I'm like, 
if I had the opportunity to go back to Iran, I would make documentary videos out of them, honestly, 100%. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my passions, you know, because I think those are a story to be heard. And if you raise that mentality up a, up a scale, you realize everyone has a thing to say. But everyone, like, here's one of the common, one of the common reasons I don't, I get denied by guests to not come on the podcast is like, oh, I don't think I'm professional enough. Are you sure you want me to, are you sure you want me to on your podcast? I'm like, I don't give a like rat says where you are i, I want to hear your story i like when i see someone doing something interesting or creative i want i want to see what their story is honestly like that's yeah, it 100 yeah i agree with that and and i think there's uh there's there can often be like you can like you said you can learn a lot from anyone at any parts of their journey just because you know we all evolve and i'm sure five ten years from now you and i are probably gonna have different opinions about many things that we have some opinions about now but the, I think the beautiful thing is like seeing that in the moment and where someone came from and where they are. I, I agree with you. I think it's, so that is just a matter of trying to draw out those experiences out of them, right? So like uh, it, it's about maybe asking the right questions to make sure that they explain the unique things that make them unique. And I agree with you. I think that's what, uh, you know, it's a huge world and not everyone's going to be famous or well-known, but like you said, there's uh, millions of, I'm sure, of incredible, well, maybe hundreds of thousands of incredible artists, uh, maybe millions who are, you know, everyone's got their own unique take on it and uh, lots to say, but maybe they're just, you know, born uh, in in the wrong place or maybe they're not, you know, maybe don't speak the right language to be able to extend their art to, if you want to say like a bigger market. And then, you know, there's a whole other conversation there about is art successful if it's not known? Cause you know, that's arguable as well, right? Like you're saying, just because, you know, this artist you're talking about, just because most people don't know about him, does it make his art less? Not at all, right? The artist is still incredible. And the, I guess the other thing is that as the world gets more populated and bigger, there's always going to be more niches. So, you know, I may know an artist that you may not be aware of, but he may have, a huge following somewhere else in a different part of the world, right? Like it's all so fluid. So it is unfortunate that people do put so much value on the amount of followers or the amount of people that would listen. Uh, but I, it's like, it's one of those things where you, you try or you want not to care about because the, my perspective on like, you know, some of the, the, the artists I, I speak with is that I want them to be known because I find them so incredible. Exactly. So Thank you. Yeah. And that's part of the reason like you, you want to talk to them just because you and I, right? Like we, we see so much in them. Part of the reason why, like I started doing the creative theory podcast is that I felt like in Vancouver, there's so many incredible artists, but all you hear, but all, all I always heard is like, Oh, people in LA, people in LA are amazing or whatever. People in New York are amazing. And I, and maybe surely there's good artists there, but I, I think, you know, people in the city I lived in, were as good or better. And I felt like, well, that's like, why don't people talk about them? And so my, my small role, way of trying to do it is like try to talk to them and about them. And I don't know if I'll, you know, I'm going to keep trying. I don't know if I'll succeed, but I thought it was so, I think you and I can relate a lot about this journey of you, you want to learn from anyone and you can learn from anyone. I think a lot of people are really good, right? It's just somehow the world works is that, and these values have probably shifted, you know, especially with social media that so much attention is put on, does this person, you know, does this person have this many thousands or millions of whatever uh, social approval in order for them to be relevant? Yeah, exactly. And speaking of like, you know, I, in general, I just value stories. I love hearing people's stories. Even honestly, like, you know, when you look at someone, you can kind of feel they have a lot of things to say. It's kind of a weird thing, like intuitively, you know? 
And for me, I'm like, all right, what do I like? Art. All right, I'm just going to go in that niche and make a podcast. And that's how I started, kind of. And the thing is mm-hmm. about you, you're, you're saying that maybe you were born on in a wrong yeah. area or not that you couldn't be an artist or something like that. He, let me tell you something. There's this guy I've known for two, three years. And he's in the east, southeastern area of Iran. He's a Baluchi. They're, they're called Baluchi people. And okay. he, he's a really good artist. It, it actually shows he has a lot of talent, a lot of talent. But the thing is, because he's in a wrong area of the world and he's not very, he doesn't, he, he does his digital paintings with his old smartphone now. And I follow him and I, and I, and I like everything he does. And I sort of got, if I was rich enough, I would actually send a big packet of like hardware and everything so he can continue his dream. Because that's a pity and shame, honestly. Where someone mm-hmm. who have talent and they're trying their best with whatever they got and yeah and they and they and if there's uh, they never in a better more privileged position they could have probably pursued their thing and the thing that kind of bugs me more because he also got stuck two years in his military service because in Iran mm-hmm. you have to go to two years of military service and I kind of escaped that, mm-hmm. bada bing, bada and that's um, yeah and that's actually one of my one of been one of my biggest fears like last couple of years not now anymore. That, oh my God, what if I get have to go back to Iran or stuff like that? So that, now I'm kind of in a hurry to actually get my portfolio up and running so I can apply to summer. That's actually my situation in life right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the thing is like about um, just in general, trying to introduce people, like the artists you kind of like, you know, try to introduce to the uh, your followers in your art podcast. By the way, let me give me a little bit of insight like your experience of podcasting. How has it been for you? Uh, this is gonna be so meta we're on a podcast talking about a podcast i love it <laughs> um i i like i've always been curious and social so i think or yeah especially curious so i think that's where i was driven i mean it's driven by like genuine curiosity because i i often look for answers within the art of why people do it and how they can motivate themselves and whether um and like maybe the big why of why do it sometimes. Cause I feel like it's easy. Uh, it can be easy to get lost, um, whether you get discouraged or get lost because you question the reasons why you make it. Cause if it's a commercial reason, okay, you get it. But not all of us, like even you're saying, like you don't, you don't always make art to make money, but if I think it's, uh, depends on the person, but I think there's ways where you can lose that. And anyway, so for me, it was always interesting of like why people do it. How do they do it? How do they get good? How do you get good when there's 24 hours in a day and you got to make a living especially if you don't work in art or if you do work in our job and you don't feel like you're progressing, how do you, how do you do that? And uh, there's so many unknowns and just plenty of schools, but I don't think that's uh, often taught. And sometimes you listen to a podcast with someone successful and they may not even talk about what it actually took. And maybe it's because they took it for granted or because um, it was so natural to them that they went through that experience to where they got uh, but maybe don't think of it as special and maybe they got perseverance. So they, so all these questions that I don't have answers to, uh, part of it is just, you know, me being curious to see if there's answers. So that's kind of how I got it. But the other big reason was, like I mentioned, I felt like there's a lot of really good artists around me that I didn't feel like they're getting the recognition that they could. And I, in my own little way, you know, I'm not going to be famous again, art is a niche. So or not even about fame. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to have, you know, a lot of following, but I would love to try to build a platform where, you know, people that I know, that maybe, you know, if a couple of people find out about them, maybe one of them is going to be an employer. Or maybe one of them is going to be an art collector. Or maybe one of them is going to buy a painting from them. And I think 
as a community, we can both cross pollinate and encourage each other and find, you know, introduce people to you uh, or to your followers and to your guests so that, again, like more people find out about one another. So it's been my goal. And uh, you're asked about my experience with it. Uh, it's still ongoing. I find sometimes it's very difficult to uh, be present in the conversation and also make sure that you, the conversation will flow so that you're ready you know, with your next follow-up or a, a way to flow the conversation. That, and I think that you can only learn that by doing it and listening uh, because most people who listen to audio programming or TV, you know that in entertainment, you shouldn't, people don't tolerate long pauses or long silences. You know what I mean? Like we're so used to media being a certain way that I think to be a good host, I find, or I thought, you know, I'm trying to work on is being able to not only listen, but also know how to divert or the conversation somewhere, especially if you think uh, you can get something out of the person you're speaking with. I find it, uh, you know, what you're saying, how you can learn from anyone, but sometimes not everyone's willing or as good as sharing. Some people, may have amazing thoughts and knowledge in them, but they, they may not even realize they have it until you ask the right questions, right? So some people, because a lot of artists are not very, uh, you know, they're more introverted. They may not be good at speaking. So uh, again, as someone who is like hosting and you want to get all this wonderful information out, I think you really got to be listening properly and trying to find like these triggers of like, okay, this person mentioned, you know, off, off the cuff, you know, they just mentioned that, you know, you're saying like, for example, like you're growing up uh, lonely, but if you kind of off the cuff mentioned you continued, but what if that is actually a really important aspect about you and who you've become as an adult because it affected you so much. So I think uh, on the other side, like when you're trying to create an interesting conversation or learn about someone, like you really have to pay attention to these little bits because maybe that's the important part and maybe that will create, ask the person to force the person to talk about something else that happened to them, which in retrospective could be very important, right? So it's like, it's a, it's a really, it's difficult. I found it, I still find it difficult to be actively listening and knowing when to go where, you know, uh, maybe I'm, over, I, I don't know if it's uh, obvious from this conversation or kind of from this podcast, I, I generally overthink things a lot. And it's like a, it's a bonus. It's a good thing and a bad thing in me, because I think sometimes it maybe could get me to, uh, I don't know, ask the right questions, find the right answers. But sometimes overthinking is too much because simplicity is key. Yeah, definitely. And here's the thing, like about the whole long pauses and everything, I mm-hmm. I don't remember even once listening to, like sitting somewhere and listening to podcasts. No one does it. You listen to podcasts while you do other stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I don't personally mind even the long pauses and stuff like that. But I mean, of course, it, it would be good if they aren't, they aren't there, you know? But of course, I mean, uh, like this is podcasts is podcasts are also like one of my favorite like ways of like getting information because i can just do something else and just do get information without like basically you know playing a video game or something you know 100%. and yes i'm going i was gonna say i agree with you and that's like that's not to say that that's right it's just a pressure that i put on myself and maybe it's unnecessary because like you said when it's a real conversation people pause because it's a real conversation you want to think about something before you say something it's uh, actually like what you're talking about because you want it to be as natural as possible you maybe you shouldn't control the flow because it is as natural as possible and i think what's you know with the evolution of podcasting and you know probably from uh 
I uh, forget the name of the comedian in LA who started like you know this this Joe wave Rogan? of podcast. No, even before Joe Rogan, there's another. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, Joe Rogan definitely made it popular. But this idea of conversational, uh, like long form, where you feel like when you listen, you feel like you're just kind of sitting next to them, like you're you're at a bar and you're just listening to someone chat for a long time, you know. But there's someone uh, I forget the name. The guy with the sunglasses and kind of curly hair. I think so. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I mean, because before, like, I, I forgot his name to too, but I, but I kind of know what you're talking about. Yeah. Even listening to like Adam Carolla before, and he was mentioning someone. Anyways, but you know, there's been plenty of people who kind of started it, but I feel like ever since kind of the inception of it, this, uh, I think the reason why the medium is successful is because it makes you feel like you're kind of you're you're listening in on someone's in-depth conversations, and like you said, you never had this ability before, unless you know, like that's just something you only did with your friends, but. Uh, to really get truth and honesty out of people, I think it has to go on for a long time. And, you know, you have to get through the first 30 minutes of kind of formal conversation to then get someone to just start talking about these like random left field things, right? Like you and I just talked about like uh, dropped on a couple of philosophy uh, subjects and then being in jail and on an island, you know, uh, sometimes these topics can reveal more about someone, but it's not that you're not going to start the conversation that way. I think it'll only take you there after you talk about things and it flows randomly, right? Like, or there's a natural and you can't predict it. So uh, I, I think that's the, the kind of the success from it. So this is a very long-winded answer to your saying uh, about pauses. And I, I, I do agree with you. I think it's a pressure that I put on myself, but yeah, I think it's it just needs to be as natural as it is. I think that's where the value is. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, about the whole you not being able to like, you know, um, compile your thoughts properly for the conversation. I mean, don't get me wrong. I always have a notepad on even I have a notepad in front of me, you know, to get actually write the things that I don't forget. Like I always do that to keep the flow of the conversation. Like that's a given. And even about the whole evolution of podcasting, you mentioned, like if you go listen to my like earlier episodes, you're going to cringe. Do you know why? Because I mean, they weren't that (laughs) bad, but I mean, it was more like if you put all my episodes on a spectrum right now, it's kind of like this mm-hmm. from interviewee kind of drive things, not being able to c- communicate with, you know, strangers that much to kind of like free form one hour of philosophical, like random, <laughs> like, you know, kind of like that. So it's a whole evolution to make it like actually organic and flowy. And, and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of appreciative for anyone who gave me the chance to actually practice. I mean, there were, pe- the, believe it or not, there were people who kind of like, you know, refused to come on my podcast because I didn't have enough followers. Like I, I, I that actually happened a couple of times, even early on and kind of stunted my confidence, confidence a bit. And, but yeah, I, I'm kind of happy with the podcast because I learned a lot and I grew as a person, like just learning a lot of stuff, you know, in, along the way. Yeah. And so many people say no to me and that's, uh, and I think it's, and I don't, uh, you're right at the beginning. It's uh, the things that like, I don't have expectations of why people would do it. Like, I don't, I don't see why anyone would have to in the first place, but also I, one thing I'm realizing, and I don't know if you feel the same way. It's like the older you get, the more you realize there's not enough time in a day. Right. So I can understand why someone doesn't want to take two hours to talk to me because they're not probably may not get anything out of it or, you know, they don't see the usefulness to it which is i think it's also like i think it's justifiable you know again and it's, if someone has you know a child they'd rather spend two hours with their kid than me like i'm a random person so i, I can see like it's uh, kind of like you're saying so many people said no but i think it's for maybe fair reasons and i do find that actually these days as there's more podcasts uh, on any topic you know there's comedians there's uh, writers there's us artists talking about things because there's so much media out there too i would imagine uh, the audience potentially may have hard times 
figuring out which one is going to be more useful, right? Because how do we know if we offer more or less value than someone else does, right? And so there's, I think there's a lot of questions and like, because there's no right or wrong way doing it. It's just someone may have a preference. Then here's the thing. I, I, I don't have a problem with people saying no. Actually, a lot of people said, you know, I... I in my whole two and a half years that I've been doing the podcast, I honestly I have a notepad, you know, that I've recorded everything. Mm. I've contacted fifteen hundred different people, like one thousand and five hundred plus something. You know, that's how wow. many people I had to reach out to actually get to one hundred and fifty-seven episodes. You know, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I I just don't like it when people is strictly for the reason that like you know I don't Too have much right? clout or something. Yeah. And the weirder than it is is. All right, I'm not going to get into it, but it's just a, some, just a, a <laughs> few people are just, let's just say weird. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, so actually speaking about artists and just, you know, podcasting a lot, who are some of your favorite artists who inspired you? Oh, man. So um, I, this may be like a, an answer you have heard many times, but I think for craftsmanship and the fluidity and efficiency of brushstrokes, uh, John Singer Sargent uh, and Joaquin Bastida Soroya, um, or Sorolla, I don't know, Soroya, I think is how you say it because he's Spanish, but the, you know, the, the classical impressionists of 20th century. Yeah, I should know my art better. But yeah, I feel like they're uh, actually no 19th century, but they're incredible. Um, specifically impressionistic era i think that stood out to me and then you know you got uh and uh, a number of incredible russian painters uh, again of similar type time because to me i love that um how they they don't just uh, copy life but they you know it's an impression of life and i think uh artist vision comes through it more and i, I think visually and aesthetically that's something especially lately is something that um is just really impressive. And sometimes it's not even that I would want to try to make something like that, but it's really um, inspiring. And I don't think that was inspiring. Uh, I was as aware of it when I was younger, early on, but I think as you start to learn art and painting, you you can admire that art a lot more because you realize the skill that goes into it is insane. You know, I think it sometimes it looks too easy because of how good they are. Um, of course, uh, Alberto Mielgo, you know, uh, insane... Uh, rock star of animation of our age who you know incredibly hardworking guy who is a i think a role model probably for a lot of people because not only he can paint traditionally he does digital work does animation and he's like won awards uh, for his short film which we all know how hard it is to make you know alone a painting making a short film or on that level you know because he he didn't just he didn't just make short films but on like the best probably one of the best out there so he is very much um an inspiration um and then you know on instagram i'm sure there's like thousands of people i'm following just because all of them are so good at it in their own way and personally because my interests don't just lie within you know game or animation industry but it's kind of a visual art as a whole there's plenty of illustrators uh, i like um chris turnham uh, i think he's from la they're a really really cool illustrator uh kevin dart um uh, what's the name of the company I forget, but you know, there's just is too many to name, and I, I find that it's not one that I generally go to. And sometimes, depending on what I'm making, I would look at their work. But um, I think uh, I think the first three that I started with are uh, something that kind of will, will though they they are the artists will never leave my mind because I know they're like at such high pillars. And then um, uh, maybe. Couple more I'll mention is you know every time you go to a gallery like uh, I I was lucky enough to go to Del Prado again in Madrid 
um, this winter and, you know, you walk into the room again, my favorite room is like paintings of impressionists and there's artists you've never heard of, but their skills are one of the best out there. And so, you know, they, they, there's so much inspiration out there. Uh, too much. Yeah, exactly. But the correct answers were the ones that popped into your mind first. That's the whole point of the question. You're right. And yeah. here's the thing. Um, oh, God, what was I going to say? Uh, I kind of <laughs> forgot. See, this is what no happens. Worries, uh, That's how it goes. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, what are you working... If there's no NDA involved, could you share with us, like, you know, the stuff you're working on right now? Oh, the yeah, type good, of project good, there? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, NDAs... Uh, uh, yeah, the project I'm working on right now is a... I'm trying to think. I think, like, I can say it's a pilot that we're making. Um, it, we're working in Unreal Engine, which is something that excited me about this current company and the position that I'm in, uh, Digital Dimension in Montreal, is because they're making animation in in the game engine, which is uh, a relatively new thing. But uh, there's a lot of movement. You know, there's Unity. It's also picking up a lot of traction. But Unreal Engine is huge, and you see a lot of companies signing up and trying to do it then because there's I, there's a lot of benefits to being able to do it real time for any department you know whether it's animators or even layout artists so yeah we're working on that but unfortunately the project hasn't been announced i hope so this year it's it's very likely that you're going to see it this year um potentially making the rounds but i think that's kind of all i can say and so i've been on this project almost a year since last july and we're about to wrap it up um pretty soon but it's, it's been cool. It's been challenging for me just because it's been a uh, different subject matter. Previously, I've been used to working um, in TV animation. I've been used to working for kids, for uh, cartoons for kids, for younger audience. And so it comes, uh, the style is different where this one uh, is older audience. So it's been more challenging for myself to you know, just art directed well and know how to write art directed not only in visual direction but also just the, the technical small aspects of it like if you're drawing a car for a kid's cartoon versus if you're drawing a car for a batman movie you know it's going to be a lot more fidelity and different f mood and flavor but it's going to be also a lot harder especially if you're not used to drawing cars so it's that kind of experience that i'm going through where because my work you know nine to five has been so it's been leaning so much into stylized kid stuff that once it came to doing something that was different all of a sudden i realized like i'm not even i'm not that great at it and so i spent a lot of time doing my free time trying to get better at it and you try to absorb reference and absorb other media but it's uh, uh, i love the fact that it took me out of my comfort zone and uh, i hope you know i'm do, doing the best i can with the artists that i got and uh, you know the, the the team the team is great but the team that you have um but it's been a really cool experience, and I hope in the future I continue getting on projects where it takes me out of the comfort and I have to scramble to learn a lot because we all know that that's how you learn the most, but it's a very uncomfortable place to be at. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see where, yeah, I guess nine, ten months since I started this job where as a team and where myself I've gotten to. But um, I know that after this project, uh, in some ways, I'm a slightly different person with a slightly different skill set just because there had to be a lot of growing uh, done for myself. And, well, here's the thing. Um, let's take a break from all these art questions. I want to ask you something else. 
and which is what area beside the area you're working on right now, which is, of course, in the realms of art and just creative fields, would you be interested to explore and learn in the future? Let me rephrase that question again. What other hobbies, aside from art, you have that you want to explore in the future, you know, do stuff you want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still, uh, I find that, uh, I guess, being a creative person, and I think a lot of artists can relate to it as... Um, you kind of want to do all things creative and that comes to music, right? Uh, I've been, I used to play drums and learning bass guitar right now. And I don't know if that counts as an answer, but that's something I would love to get better at. I, I really enjoy like jamming with people when you, if it happens that you get a connection and you can play, just uh, jam together. That's a really satisfying feeling. So I'm working on that. Um, love to read more. I mean, the, I, I love history and I think uh, I would love to be more knowledgeable about that. Actually, like, because you're born in Iran, like, uh, I was uh, Cyrus or Kurdish, right? You see, what's originally from that area? Yes. And to me, like Cyrus, like what a fascinating person, and then the you know, really brutal. But oh, to me, like that part of the world and that history and how much they conquered and like the and the the level of sophistication that um, they uh, you know Cyrus brought the, his people to. Uh, that's all really fascinating, and just imagine. It, it's kind of scary and imagining that, you know, tens of thousands of people were in an army marching into the different lands to battle out and murder yeah. each other. Like, but, you know, like as a, uh, you know, just I, I can't imagine 10,000 people in armor with weapons fighting. Like what a crazy thing to have experienced. Like it's it's terrifying, but those things happened a long time ago and they happened on such scale that uh, like it's so epic and it's easy to look back on history when it's so long ago and not be emotionally attached to it um so i i I understand that like being excited about it may be a little bit too dark but to me like that's fascinating so as a hobby on its own i don't know if it's a hobby but just like uh being more knowledgeable about some of these things uh, that's really fascinating uh to me just because these things happened like it's crazy like uh, just the stories you hear about this guy and the, you know when they sacked cities how like how brutal they were it's um i don't know it's it's shocking but also it shows you something about the people of the time and the hard life that people lived you know and then you compare that to genghis khan and if you, you compare that to uh i don't know like caesar and then you see how all these different people um how much they affected the world and how they went about it mm it's all too interesting and I don't know much about it but I would love to learn more here's an interesting thing about like yeah actually history is a fascinating subject as well um, like ancient Persia is a tricky thing like um, if you if you actually have you have you dwelled into any history books or read any history about like ancient Iran and Persia uh, Persia specifically and that's mostly through Dan Carlin podcast and uh-huh. um, Daniele Belelli history and fire podcast so from assyria to persia to mm-hmm. uh um uh, what's the other ones um there's assyrians and there was uh Mods, i'm forgetting Parts, yeah those people yeah yeah yeah. And yeah here's the thing like actually iran was like the ancient persia i should say it was the main like inventors of a lot of things that we still use like on like ancient, like in the southeast of Iran, in a city of I forgot the name, but basically they found animations by what do you mean by animations? Like imagine a waist, and on the waist there was four different drawings, and it was kind of like frames of animations. Like there's a goat. Spin it. Yeah, exactly. There's weird yeah. stuff, and even the first ever postal system 
they were called chaparchan mm-hmm. and we still use them for hundreds of years after like there was basically a stables in the middle of roads you you give it a letter to a person to ride with the horse and they go to a mm-hmm. new stable and they pick a fresh horse and they go and go until they reach there it's kind of like a postal office of those times and that's incredible yeah but the battle- I mean, Persian empire was huge right so yeah and i it's I, it's kind of a shame that i feel like i mean history is so vast it's a yeah. shame that people don't know about it but i feel like you could say that about many regions of the world right exactly how much it's unfortunate because people don't know Ions, Aztecs, i love those mm. you know yeah exactly yeah and about like admiring people who've done terrible things uh, that you kind of found dark you said cyrus i mean i kind of get you because one of the people who i admire a lot was a terrible terrible person he was a one of the main founders of the qajari dynasty in iran which he was mm-hmm. muhammad khan of Qajar. and his story is mm-hmm. a f- fucking motivation and fascinating for me he was a terrible person like dog shit of mm-hmm. a human being like don't get me wrong but the guy got mocked the guy got uh, mutilated the guy got flayed he they cut off they cut off his genitalia to mock him and just make him kill himself. Jesus. He wow. what he did was next was incredible. He rode north, waited a couple of years, amassed an army, and took over the fucking country. Don't don't <laughs> tell me that's not even for that time. Imagine for that time where masculinity was such a like there was so much toxic masculinity back then. Oh, like yeah. imagine yeah, getting your genitalia gone, that would be a huge depressive thing. But he took that as fucking fuel and it just... I mean, he did many terrible things. I mean, fuck that guy, don't get me wrong. But that sort of <laughs> determination is kind of admirable. Let's for you. I mean, it's a story. I, I know what you mean. It's really hard to separate uh, history from morals, right? And you know that morals evolved historically, yeah. right? If you go back 50,000 years ago, the morals were very different than they are now or 100 years ago. And so... I know what you mean. It's really hard sometimes to speak about that. Um, but I think like as an analysis of a human being, right? Like a, there's many things you can admire as, like you said, the, the determination, the survival skills. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Um, yeah. Fascinating, man. I got to read about this person. You should send me the name. Yeah, sure. I, I, will. I definitely will on Instagram. And Sweet. all right. An interesting fact I should mention. This has been, we broke the record this episode. This is the longest episode I ever <laughs> recorded. And you probably, you know, saw that coming from a mile away. But uh, the, the longest episode I ever recorded was with Ojan Rezaehi. It was one hour and 45 minutes. But now this is one hour, 56, 57, 57, one. And we're going. And we reached the final yeah. question of the podcast, which okay. is called Final Words. And let me explain. Imagine in the limited amount of time that you might have, all right, in a window of time and opportunity, you get the chance to leave. For example, imagine like this. Imagine you're in a, st- or a space station and your pod is getting hatched and you're about to leave forever. You know, we're sending you yeah. to the space to, I don't know, find whatever. And just, I mean, it's a scenario, right? I, my imagination is kind of running dry, right? And in that opportunity, and you have two, three minutes before the launch and you have an opportunity to say anything, give a message or messages or anything to anyone who might listen to your voice, kind of like your legacy, right? And in that type of, and it's kind of, there's so much pressure. pressure. Exactly. Yeah. And in that sort of situation, what do you have to say? What messages or messages do you have to say to another human being? And that's another human being is anyone who's listening to this podcast and bear to listen to one hour and 58 minutes of us talking. <laughs> I know. We're people. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you have to say in that situation? Uh, and so in, in that case, I'll give advice to people who are pursuing art, as I would imagine. Most no, 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 not just art, anything, anything. You want just humans. Wow, man, that's hard because, yeah. um, 
you know, uh, I can only speak from my perspective uh, in the life that I've lived and it's still relatively young. So I'm sure there's many insights that may come to me more uh, in the future. Um, yeah, but I suppose it applies, you know, it, uh, maybe it applies to anything. And I do realize that it it's easier to say than truly done, but I think it's really important to find what it is you specifically enjoy and find ways to do it um, as much as possible. And, you know, there's certain things that one may follow where they may not seem as important or as useful as others, but kind of what you're saying earlier is that if you do want to simplify it, uh, your life and kind of take away all the complexities out of it, you just want to pursue the things you love and do them as much as possible. Uh, It's hard not to make these things sound cliche but you know apart from you know love and relationships and people around you to find meaning in life that's such a incredibly complex thing and i'm sure you know people which you went to high school university with and everyone's on a different timeline and path and everyone's trying to find that one or multiple things that will bring them joy which at the same time hopefully you know can take them through life and if there's a chance that that can help you support yourself make a living people around you and uh, have fulfillment incredibly difficult right and some people don't find it uh, until later in life some people are lucky to find it early some people may never uh, truly find it uh, which is potentially tragic right because you have to believe that there's something out there for everyone that they're going to be good at because they love it so much uh, i think what we're talking you and i touched upon talent at the beginning of uh, in the middle of the show and i think what i what i value more than talent and i don't care for talent as much what i value more is passion for something because who cares about talent if you're passionate about something you will do it 20 hours a day instead of two it's the it's a passion that will uh, and the desire to be good at something that will take you to the end and again and that's where i think some people may not be able to find that uh, that skill or that thing that they're excited about which is really unfortunate so uh, it, may, it may not be as advice, but it's a, I suppose it's a hope. I hope that everyone uh, is able to find this thing that they love so much that they're able to spend their whole life on. And, you know, they'll never be great at it, but will continue pursuing it because there's no end until they die. And I think that can be a really beautiful thing. And I don't have kids. I have to mention that because I, when you when I speak to people with kids, they say your whole life changes and your priorities in life change because all of a sudden it's not about you and maybe your fulfillment may come from your family. And I don't know, you know, we can talk about in like, uh, what, let's say five years and we'll find out. But um, I, I do think uh, regardless, I, I hope that regardless of family or kids that, you know, the, the identity still remains, right? So I think that the passion and that's something that brings you joy that you can identify is super important yeah yeah i mean kind of good yeah thanks so much and i mean i I kind (laughs) of get like you know about like forming a family i mean i kind of understand that but i don't think like it is maybe this is my personal opinion but i don't think it's also healthy to uh, find fulfillment in other i mean technically other people i mean of course i mean when you have kids it's it's a whole different world i get that but you should always have that core within you too so that your exist your existence and your sanity shouldn't rely and be attached to other things and people just in general i mean then the, the other things are then become bonuses you know it sounds very healthy i i completely agree with you agree with you and i think you know the reason maybe sometimes you hear people having difficulties when they're 
uh, you know, uh, when they have kids because they have no time for themselves. So maybe this, 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 what you're talking about, the ability to know yourself and what you love and not rely on other people, maybe that disappears. You know, we can hypoth- uh, hypothesize. Yeah, until we explain it, hypothesize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, I, I agree with you. I think that the healthy way is being like knowing self and then mm. everyone around you only makes your life better, 100%. Yeah, exactly. And well, that's a wrap, people. The first two hour plus episode of Career Podcast. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed it. And where can people contact you if they had any questions? Is our Instagram account okay if I put that in the captions, which I did? Yeah, I think Instagram is the easiest. Yeah, Gazillia. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm probably most active there out of all social media. So yeah, if you want to say hello. All right. And well, wait, should I ask you nothing else? I usually, my, my, my outros are kind of different. I kind of forgot what they were yet. That's probably it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming by. And thank you to anyone who tuned in and listened to this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, leave a, leave a comment down below if there's any suggestions or feedbacks or anything you want or any person you want me to invite later or just anything in general. My DMs are always open. I'm, I'm not busy. I'll read them all. Don't worry. And uh, <laughs> that's about it. And take care, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye.